What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to Season 8, Episode 166 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com go check out our two black nerds forever collection inspired by black panther wakanda forever we got t-shirts crewnecks hoodies stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing a bunch of movies and tv that we've seen over the last few weeks including the science fiction thriller megan lebron james's house party remake and the peacock limited series the best man the final chapters but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this podcast with a review of hbo's adaptation of the popular video game franchise the last of us if you don't think there's hope for the world why bother going on you haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family. I'm not family. No. Your cargo. Why are you so important? Somewhere out west. They're working on a cure. I think what really impressed them was the fact that I didn't turn into a monster. If she so much as twitches, don't Okay. If I'm taking you with me, do what I say when I say it. You got any advice on the best way west? Yeah. Go east. You've come this far. Then you know what's out there. You're not gonna scare us. You scared him? You have a greater purpose than any of us could have ever imagined. Careful who you put your faith in. You might not be her father, but you were someone's. You trust me. Now, this series is created by Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann. Episode 1 is directed by Craig Mazin, and it's starring Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. So, The Last of Us. This is a show that I know you and I have both been eagerly anticipating 
As a matter of fact, it's been eagerly anticipated by so many people. The Last of Us truly is one of the most popular video games of all time. It's one of the most acclaimed video games of all time. And part two actually just dropped a couple of years ago. And I think continuing in the trend and the legacy of that franchise, it was heavily lauded, critically praised by most people, a little bit more divisive, but certainly I think still regarded as one of the best video game experiences that we've seen in quite some time. And so it was really no surprise that HBO decided to pick up this adaptation of The Last of Us. Now, we know a few years ago, PlayStation decided to create a new initiative, PlayStation Studios, to embark on adapting a lot of their popular video game franchises. We've already just started to see some of those things and what they look like. Last year, we got the Uncharted movie. They have the God of War series that's coming out on Amazon Prime in a few years that we've talked about. But The Last of Us is really, I think, kind of the first big firing shot of what this new project is going to entail. What's interesting, though, about The Last of Us is that they've taken a stab at this project before. It's actually been in development hell for quite a while. It's had two different film adaptations, one that was actually going to be helmed by Sam Raimi, but that ultimately fell through. And over the course of these past few years, they finally have been able to get this series off and running. And it's been filming for quite a while in Canada over the past couple of years. And Craig Mazin is coming off of Chernobyl, his critically acclaimed HBO limited series. Neil Druckmann, we also know, is the co-president of Naughty Dog and also behind the creative team of the first Last of Us video game. So we have certainly the caliber and the pedigree of a really incredible team behind the series to bring this to life. Before we talk about the series premiere and what we thought about this opening episode, because there's a lot to get into, I do just want to talk a little bit about the show and how it came to be and just mm -hmm. also the industry and where we're sort of headed with this with this, you know, sort of new era of video game adaptations that we've seen, because you and I both know we've seen quite a lot of them. Video game adaptations into live action or even into animated just have not always worked. They've had a very, very checkered history yeah. going all the way back to the Super Mario Brothers movie of the early oh 90s, which is one of the worst, most egregious <laughs> movies ever made. It's it's the, the less said about it, the better. And then, you know, subsequently, we've gotten a few things here and there that have, you know, shown some 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 glimmers of hope. The most recent Sonic films from Paramount have been doing really well. The Detective Pikachu movie was actually pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. There have been things that have been great and have you know, started to touch greatness at least. And then we've also had some other things that have been successful, but maybe not from a quality perspective, the greatest, the resident evil franchise, the film mm, franchise yes. made a lot of money quality wise. You know, I think that can be debated depending on the movie that you're talking about, but they've also made another movie and another series. We've seen a lot of these things, but what are your thoughts just about the, the current landscape of video game adaptations? Cause I don't know, to me, it feels like we're, we're entering somewhat of a turning point. It's yeah. starting to feel like that maybe maybe the industry is starting to get how to do this because mm -hmm. it's taken so long and there have been so many bad examples, but it's starting to finally feel like that we are on the precipice of something great. What do you think about that? You know, I think there's just been something, you know, in the water that a lot of the reasons why a lot of those early movies just don't work out from a quality perspective is no one really viewed video games as a serious thing for a long time. You know what I mean? It, it was never like... Video games are always, oh, why are you doing that? Why are you playing video games? Or why is, or that's childish, or that's, gaming in general has grown more popular over the years. It just is what it is. Like, it, of course, it's always been, you know, decently big, but what it is now is a whole nother, I think, kind of ball game. When you talk about video games, you can, we can, we can discuss God of War in public and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about that not, not even had to have played the game they know what it is you know what I mean um and it's, it's just becoming I think more popular to game in general and I think that's helping 
all of this. Not only that, but more mature games have come out. As gaming has progressed in technology, I think it now makes more sense for people to start adapting these things as people would love to do the cinematography of a game where they actually paid attention to the cinematography uh, the cinematography inside the game, you know what I mean? There's art direction in games that have been growing. There's concepts in games that have been getting more mature and darker that they're able to convey better. And I think that's it's, it's all just kind of growing with the time. And I think, you know, part of the turning point we're getting now is, one, the understanding of movie companies and, and all, all these other companies that are like, video game is a pretty big industry we should probably tap into. And not only that, but uh, uh, gaming in general is something that people are, you know, starting to tap into more heavily because we talk about all the time. The games we've been playing feel like playable movies. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going through God of War. Like, is this a movie or a video game? Like, what is this? And I think that's helping the industry grow as a unit. Of course, there's the early, you know, video game adaptions. I'm thinking Silent Hill. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And Mortal Kombat. You know, a lot of those earlier adaptions where they... People go to see them, you know, they have their cult followings, but they're not as widespread. But now there's this mature story that comes along that we some other things have laid groundwork for it. The Walking Dead has existed. We know that as a comic can exist. Now we're we're here sitting with The Last of Us and people understand it to be a mature storyline. It's very much dark. It's very much also beautifully made in terms of story but now that part two has coming out the art direction is phenomenal you know what i mean like things we see things in this game they're like man that would look really good in a movie that look really good on the, on on tv or the big screen and, and 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 i think we're starting to understand what that looks like man and so man there's just things leading up to this moment i think that made it possible all those movies i said the sonics <laughs> that have come out in recent years have been like dang People really go see these movies. We should probably tap into these things. You know, we we talked about how Amazon ordered the God of War series. Another thing that, you know, was on the horizon that like helps these things get made. Ready Player One. Like they're just all these all these all these factors, I think, that goes into into how we get here into this this Last of Us series, man. But all in all, I'm happy we're getting here. I'm happy that we're in a time where these 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 things, these video game adaptions are being taken seriously. People are putting money into them. And now I think it's 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 time to get down to the nitty gritty of what it what it what it looks like to adapt a video game. Right. And, you know, the industry as a whole, all studios and even the streamers themselves are desperately looking for pre-existing IP that people are already familiar with these projects and these IPs that have built in fan bases. Mm-hmm. And where else better to tap into that market than video games, as you said, which have grown tremendously in popularity over the past, I would say, 10 years. It's been a really, really critical and watershed moment for the video game industry in which we are seeing some of these more mature adaptations come about where the technology has allowed for the capabilities to just be taken to new heights mm-hmm. and the budgets have grown and the teams have grown. There's just more opportunity. And so when you see a video game like The Last of Us come out a decade ago and do so well, that's because, you know, that couldn't really be achieved in 1997, you know, when they were making those <laughs> exactly. first Tomb Raider games. Mm-hmm. And so when they make a Tomb Raider movie, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, they're working off of a limited vision, a, a, a limited budget and resources, and they really have to kind of craft and build a story from scratch, mm-hmm. really, if we're being honest about yeah. it. There, there's not a lot of source material, quote unquote, to pull from unless there's like other media that, that's been tapped into. And I think that's been the case with a lot of these adaptations. But these projects like Assassin's Creed and The Last of Us and God of War, these are really rich, deep franchises mm-hmm. that have 
create created in multiple interpretations and have continued to iterate upon their stories for you know decades now at this point and so i think that just opens up the widespread opportunities of what's available now at a certain at a certain point i do think there's going to be possibly somewhat of an availability issue mm. like there's only so many games that have achieved this particular level sure. right and yep. i think that there's there's going to be a moment in time where we have to sort of reckon with that that we might not get these things as fast as Superhero films, mm-hmm. which there's just unlimited source material and just the pipeline for that stuff is just moving so much faster. But it could get there. I think that there's still definitely a moment where where we could see that possibly happen if they're good. But that just has to be a, a level of quality that's sustained over the years. But also, in addition to video games and adaptations becoming more frequent, zombies in pop culture yes. has been a mainstay for 70 years, really, if we're, if we're being honest mm-hmm. about it. George Romero and Night of the Living Dead, like, they've been able to remain a part of pop culture consciousness for the longest time and i think the past 15 years has just been a really a really tremendous time for fans of of zombies and, and what zombies represent in the mainstream when you talk about tv shows and movies there's just such a variety you get those really serious sort of interpretations movies like dawn of the dead mm-hmm. or world war z you know which are also based off of other things but we've even gotten you know more comedic takes like zombie land or Shaun of the dead like there's a lot of variety there yeah. and then as you mentioned the walking dead has been a television phenomenon for a very long time. They just concluded their 11th season, their final season, but by no means is it the end of The Walking Dead. They have multiple spinoffs. Yeah. They have other things that are that are going to be coming down the pipeline mm-hmm. that have been announced. And so we are in a time in which zombies and pop culture are a thing. The Last of Us deals with zombies to an extent. They're, they're kind of zombie adjacent. There's a little mm-hmm. bit more to them than just being the undead. But I think a lot of people would associate the creatures and the people that we see, you know, sort of, some of the antagonists as zombie-like, right? And so this, I think that this fits within that within that conversation. What are your thoughts just about where we are right now? The fact that we do get a few movies every year that come out that focus on zombies. We do have a series like The Walking Dead, which kind of broke open the doors in, t- in terms of what's possible from long-term storytelling, and it just wrapped up to now The Last of Us seemingly maybe maybe taking that spot, maybe becoming you know the, the prominent zombie fixture in pop culture for at least the next few years man um the 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 only you know weird caveat to that is last of us only has so much source material (laughs) you know what i mean so i think that can only last so long but overall i absolutely love it you know we talk about night of the living dead and what george romero did in 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 that series and in being able to tell different meaningful stories with the undead or the infected that have other social commentary i think is is always an impressive thing to do and in my mind if you have uh uh some kind of commentary that you want to give or say or there's a story within the, the overarching story of an infection that has some merit to it that has something people can hold on to i say tell it man and i'm going to be there to watch it almost every time and in in, in in again in the sense of of zombies um because it's very fun content i think we all in in a lot of ways zombie what makes zombies and infections so cool is that's kind of the closest thing that's really possible. You know, you watch some of these weird, crazy alien movies. You're like, okay, that's kind of far fetched. But a lot of these, these, this is the content, to be honest, that feels like the closest to home. We we just went through the pandemic, right? There's ton of content that is talking, to, that's going through uh, uh, the 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 feels and the reactions of the pandemic. A lot of projects coming out talking about COVID. A lot of things coming out giving commentary on COVID. And I think even as Last of Us moves into this time 
even as it happened before the pandemic, it not only foreshadowed kind of what the pandemic could look like a little bit, but now I think they're even going to be playing with some of that in the show post-pandemic. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, COVID actually happened. What about this thing? What about this idea in the TV show? And so I think there's always room for these stories to be told in, 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 in pun intended, Zombieland, in, in, in where there's 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 yeah there's there's just so much more to say um because again that's that's what george romero set out to do in the beginning like don't never let anybody tell you zombies aren't political <laughs> you know what i'm saying he did that on purpose and so i'm, I'm again if there's a story to be told I'm, i'll be here to listen and i think last of us will carry that torch for a couple of years i really do think uh, I think that's the case now that The Walking Dead is slowly uh, fading away. Like you said, there's spinoffs and things, but in terms of the thing everybody's talking about, Last of Us is here and it's here to it's here to take that spot. Yeah, I think all the all the best stories have had that 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 commentary integrated into what what the show or what the movie is is really ultimately about because that's been a part of the DNA and the fabric since the since the beginning since we can really remember and mm-hmm. so The Last of Us continuing in that trend certainly makes sense. It was all all apparent in the video game and it's kind of frightening when you really think about it that you know these things can really for something that 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 does appear so supernatural and unreal how how closely related and, and aligned it actually is to current times and just the things that we've dealt with as as humans and and an ongoing daily basis it's like well yeah there actually really might be something here and like mm-hmm. even the, the 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 infected in the last of us we know that it's actually kind of based out of something that 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 is real there is like a fungi that can grow and spread and all these different things like there's 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 stuff that's rooted in reality and science that I think maybe some other genres try to tap into, but they're not always successful at there's something, Mm -hmm. you know, eerily scary about the idea of like people becoming infected or sick and things spreading. As you said, the pandemic is literally the translation of that in real life. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, millions of people died from it. It doesn't it doesn't result in, you know, people growing fungi out of their face and running around, you know, (laughs) trying to eat people. Right. But who's to say it could never get that serious? Mm -hmm. Right. Who's to say that there couldn't be something that's created in a lab (laughs) that couldn't cause people to just go fucking (laughs) right. Like anything could just make people to go you know lose their lose their mind and so i think that uh that that's why they'll always persevere you know the zombie genre the you know the 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 genre about the medical field the infected like that stuff is always going to persevere because of just how how close it feels how how based in reality it actually feels yeah now as i mentioned earlier this show has been a development hell but finally it got a team behind it that that, that could bring this to light and bring the show to make it to make it ultimately what what we're watching unfold right now on hbo craig mazin has an incredible pedigree because of his work on Chernobyl, which came out a few years ago, a limited mm-hmm. series I know we both watched, and it was highly acclaimed upon release. It's it's considered, you know, really one of the one of the landmark limited series that we've seen of the past, you know, 15, 20 years, I think. And then Neil Druckmann, of course, is directly tied to The Last of Us as a franchise. Yes. You know, he, he's been there from the get-go. He is the co-president of Naughty Dog, which, you know, is also responsible for the Uncharted series. So He's been some, you know, at least somewhat responsible for this kind of new video game revolution that we're seeing. A lot of the stuff you talked about earlier, just the maturity, the the levels of advancement in technology, just everything that's starting to slowly become capable in the video game world. You know, what, what do you think about these two, you know, sort of teaming up to tell this story and why are they the right people to do so? Man, uh, Craig Mazin is actually also in writing a Borderland uh, movie, a Borderlands movie, which is like this dude is going all in you know with the video games but he's been a pop culture guy for a long time um he did i think hangover 2 he did a couple of scary movies later the later scary movies and after watching chernobyl man it was just 
it was one of those things where like this dude i think gets apocalypse or you know it's not necessarily an apocalypse but you know what i mean he gets tragedy and he gets like this big event that happens that can ruin people's lives and that's what the last of us is this big event happens it quite literally ruins people's lives um but but i think those two things combine chernobyl and the idea of like doing a borderlands and hang up i think he just gets what it what it means to write a series like this um and the success of chernobyl i think absolutely absolutely let him here because uh, uh again it's dealing with very uh similar themes and very similar really horror um uh, very is dealing with very similar horror in terms of what it looks like when when something goes wrong um and in, in the, in the people that have to feel those effects neil Druckmann, man he just he's been here done that the last of us is his baby he literally he wasn't only you know um um, one of the 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 main people at naughty dog but like this was legit his baby like he wrote (laughs) the last of us you know what i'm saying in 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 help uh be the creative director for that video game and so i can only imagine how it is first directing a video game and then coming in here and trying to direct a series um, and, and, and it looks like he's done, you know, some of those things before or worked with some other series in the past, but this is like the one for him. This is, this is his baby. And it's, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody carry anything from video game to actual television show in terms of being the writer and director of both. And so it's in my mind, it's like who better else to get to do this thing than Neil Druckmann, who has been here and done that. And th- again, this is his baby, the thing that he wrote. And so I'm excited to see the person who created the vision in the first place is carrying out the vision as well. We get a lot of video game adaptions that aren't like that. You know what I mean? Some of the creators may not be alive or writers of certain storylines in video games may not be alive. Some of them just weren't involved in the project. Like a studio made it got green, green lit to do a, a, a movie, but none of those people who made the original video game were involved. Like a lot of that stuff tends to happen, but Neil Druckmann's like, no, I'm here. And this is my baby for the last of us. So obviously he's like, the person for the job so yeah I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where he can take this tv show yeah craig mazin showed a particular ability to show what humanity's undoing of itself could look like mm-hmm. with chernobyl that is a real life catastrophe that actually happened which is horrific and you know oddly not talked about that much anymore and then when you watch the show i think i think a lot of people grew up maybe hearing about it maybe in a textbook you heard about chernobyl but yeah. you never really understood well, what happened here? Like, mm-hmm. what went down? And then you watch that series, and I rewatched it before watching this, and it's still, I mean, it still fucking works. It's crazy just how horrific the whole thing is. And again, I think you just, you know, sort of look at some of the monstrosities or the atrocities of man and what they ultimately result into. The Last of Us is dealing with all that exact same stuff. Like, yes, it's not based in reality per se. It's not based off of a real incident, but a lot of similar themes that are that are occurring in that series that we ultimately see with our main characters because mm-hmm. it is about the humanity of it. It is it is about the people, you know, involved in this and, and much less about whatever the catastrophe is or whatever the incident is. It's it's kind of more about people's reactions to it and what it does to them and ultimately how it consumes them and, and yeah. affects them over the course of their lives. And so it all makes sense, you know, why they got these people. It's really it's really kind of the perfect combo. You know, Neil Druckmann is is coming in here and I know he was very much, you know, sort of unabashedly saying that certain things have to be in the show. Like we have to do it a certain type of way. And what's interesting is that he initially thought that this was going to be a movie. And then you get a guy like Craig Mazin coming from the TV side of things recently saying like, no, wait a second. 
we need time to let this breathe Mm -hmm. because this is about the journey of these characters. We can't do this in two and a hours or two and a half hours. Like we actually have to go on this journey, experience this over the course of multiple, multiple hours. And so we get nine episodes with this first season, which I think is going to be the perfect format for this particular story. On the other side of things in front of the camera, just as important as probably the creators are the actors. And we have Joel and Ellie as our main characters from the video game being portrayed by Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Now, the casting news for this show came out a couple of years ago, and I think there was a lot of general excitement about Pedro Pascal. I feel like I saw him fan casted a lot before he was officially announced. I feel like people kind of knew like, yeah, he might he might be the perfect guy. Bella Ramsey, not necessarily the same story. There's been a lot of you know feedback and chatter about mm-hmm. her, some criticism if we're just being honest about it, based on looks and appearances and whatever the whatever you know else the case may be. But you know, how do you feel about these two? You know, sort of coming into the story, being really the shepherds of the narrative that's unfolding on screen, since they are so integral to to what we're seeing happen. Yeah, man. I mean, it's first and foremost, Pedro Pascal is clearly is the year of him you know i kind of talked about how last year was a lot of jenna ortega this year we're gonna be seeing a lot of pedro between this show and in the mandalorian um i think shoot whoever whatever he has you know uh, uh else to do this year but the man is is, is working and he just happened he just happens to have a joel look <laughs> and, it, and it and it really works out because of course he has the acting chops to go along with it so i'm i was very much excited to see him actually get casted there's a because it's, it's funny, a lot of times you see fan cast, and a lot of times when I see a fan cast, I just assume that person is not going to be it. Because that's usually what happens, right? Like somebody, you're like, oh, dang, they're not going to be it. But nope, Pedro Pascal actually got casted, and he's here, you know, to to, to do the work. Um, but I think he's perfect, man. He's just been, he's, he's been around, and he's been doing such good work um, that I, I, at this point, I, in, in a lot of ways, I couldn't really imagine anybody else just because really, social media hammered it into my head too like Pedro Pascal Pedro Pascal and I was like dang yeah, this dude just has to be Joel now like I can't I can't see it any other way you know you talk about Bella Ramsey as Ellie and I, I I'm kind of on, on on the fence a little bit in 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 in, in respects to kind of what you were saying I see why like people are like eh, she don't look that much like Ellie I'm kind of in that same mind but I know she has the acting chops to bring to bring Ellie to life, um, and I think that's what I'm more interested in. It's a video game adaption, you know what I'm saying? Like they they over here making people that don't exist, you know, just like any other adaption is. So I think it still is going to get certain taken used to because some of those cutscenes are so good, you know what I mean? Some of those cutscenes are like, man, I have a vision of Ellie in my head, and she doesn't quite fit it a hundred percent. But I know over time as the show goes on, I'm like, nah, that's Ellie. You know what I mean? Like she has the acting chops. Her and Joel have this relationship. It's it's I'm I'm gonna get used to it very soon. So I'm I'm actually not worried at all about it. But I do see what uh, what other people are saying about the way she looks a little bit. But I, I think they'll everybody will get used to it too at the end of the day. You can't complain about it. She's already been casted. <laughs> She's already in the show. So that much to and that's the thing mm-hmm. yeah and that's the thing you have to you have to cast the best actor for the role r- regardless of the looks per se like yeah she doesn't exactly look like what they designed in the video games but if if she embodies the spirit of ellie and what we're supposed to get out of that mm-hmm. character that is that that that's supposed to you know sort of trump everything else in terms of how we identify her and how we sort of associate our our relationship with her if you did play the video games and if you didn't play the video games it really doesn't fucking matter because oh, yeah, you all. don't have any of those preconceived <laughs> notions right exactly. so it, it it doesn't it doesn't make any difference 
difference, I think, to a to, to a new person coming into this world. And so if she just steps up and does the job that she's supposed to do, which I'd say, based off of what we saw in episode one, she absolutely does, then there's really nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. But with all of that out the way and all that said, man, let's just talk about episode one and get into our thoughts about it. I think in terms of spoilers, this is difficult because we're talking about something that's coming from a video game that's been out for a while. I don't want to spoil anything later down the line that people might not have tapped mm-hmm. into if they didn't play the video game. So let's save anything, you know, in terms of outcomes and just like ultimately what the story unfolds to be over the course of the video game and, and you know, even in part two. And let's just focus on episode one and talk yeah. about the details. I think we could do like slight spoilers, you know, mention some things mm-hmm. um, and, and just kind of talk about it that way. But with episode one, we come right out of the gate, you know, really, I think, firmly, firmly placing us in the world that we, we kind of expected, you know, and, and one of the differences in the changes that they made this time around is actually placing us back in 2003, as yeah. opposed to the video game we were placing the present day when it came out 2013. We actually go back in time because there is a time jump that happens in this story 20 years. And so when we do take the time jump, it, it happens to, you know, fast forward to present day 2023. And so we get... A tale of, I think, two different shows that happen here, which is what we kind of expected at the beginning, which is a really, really extended prologue. And then we kind of ease ourselves into what's happening and unfolding in the present day. But what were your overall thoughts about everything you saw? This was a really extended episode, 85 minutes. So it was a, it was a pretty long series premiere. Mm-hmm. What did you think about just everything and how it unfolded and just also how you know much it leaned into what we saw in the opening moments of the video game 10 years ago? Yeah, man. First of all, shout out to Nico Parker and Sarah, man. Like you really have to nail the role of Sarah. You really have to get the audience, I think, to buy in 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 enter the world of Sarah in order for this first episode to work, in order really for the, the, the beginning of the game to work too. You you kind of enter the same world of Sarah versus the video game, you kind of start where um it's the night of everything going down, right? Versus here, you kind of get a whole a whole day to kind of spend with nico parker as sarah where where you can learn to in in some ways fall in love with her as joel's daughter you know um and so i i commend nico parker i think for what she did um in this first episode i think she did a tremendous job and 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 i appreciate uh what she gave us there man but i i I love kind of the world that they enter us in because this is everything that happens in this first episode is what sets the tone not only again for this for the series but this is the the recreation of what sets the tone for the two video game series and so i love that we're we're we we we're spending time with this um you know talk about craig mason's like whoa slow down we need to spend some time with this i love that this is the decision here because now i'm like this is sarah's personality this is who she is this is she's going next door to the neighbors you know what i mean like this is this is this was this was joel's whole daughter and, and to be able, to, I think, to spend this this amount of time with her is is very important to where where we, you know we end up. Um, and yeah, I, I liked it. I loved it. I love the little Easter eggs that they that they put in. Um, I'll give away one Easter egg. What happens is when they're running and all the pandemonium is happening in the original video game, a car comes in and hits them. That's how they get into a car crash. But instead, here they use an airplane. I thought that was a cool switch up because I was like, oh, here it go. Here it go, and then it doesn't happen. They pretend like it happens, and I was like, "Okay, but what's going to happen?" And then they end up getting hit by the plane debris. I thought that was really interesting. But there's a lot of already cool callbacks to the the show itself. You know, we have the two uh, doctors talking in the beginning about disease and stuff, and they're talking about planes. And then we move on to that scene, and there's a plane, and there's a ton of planes going down. And I don't know. I I can already tell 
that they're handling the show with care in terms of the writing and the way that they want to, you know, convey things. And I'm really, I'm really appreciative about that um, in this first episode. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think in, in, in adaptation speak, a lot of what we'll see here, and it was noticeably present in the first episode, and I think we'll continue to see it, are the expansion of ideas and the expansion of certain themes and elements that maybe not have, weren't as present in the video game, but they're becoming a little bit more more of a fixture in the series. And as you said, that opening, I thought was just so masterfully done, which takes us back to 1968. And they, they talk about the possibility of a, of a fungal virus that can spread and what that would look like. And, the, and, and it being the result of global warming, essentially. Mm-hmm. The fact that like, that's some shit we're responsible for as humans. Like yes. that's our fault. And so we are kind of creating this, this virus that's going to end up being a, a, a global pandemic sort of situation. And so I just love mm-hmm. that they really hearken to that. And then you fast forward as you know, to, to the point in which you talked about just the opening prologue with Nico Parker as Sarah and just everything that she had to do. They really did a masterful job at establishing that relationship with her for a character that has a, has a tragic end, unfortunately, and that we don't spend that much time with, but they make you care about her by going to school with her, seeing her ride the bus, seeing mm-hmm. her spend time with her father, Joel. And she's also like his caretaker. She's taking care of him. She's mm-hmm. making him breakfast and she's making sure, like, don't forget your cake. It's your birthday. Like, make sure you bring that home. Like, she's actually looking after him, which I found that interesting, too. But it, it was nice to see just all those moments where they had things that were expanded or different from the video game. But then you also still had the moments where it's like, Oh, they are just recreating verbatim. the same exact dialogue verbatim. Like <laughs> yes. the whole couch sequence verbatim. verbatim. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they did. And I'm just like, they are weaving in and out of the stuff just in, in the best way, best ways possible. Um, as we talk about the present day and just like where things end up, mm-hmm. like uh, the the real main storyline of the show is the fact that Joel has to now become sort of a caretaker for Ellie. And and it's revealed, you know, at the end of this whole thing is that she 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 is immune to to whatever disease is spreading. She's right. been bitten and she's basically lasted three weeks without any side effects so far. And so she is responsible for being the cure to some extent. So we, we, we get that relationship established between these two early on in this game or excuse me, in this series. And we see just like how that unfolds. But Joel is a hard man. He's different based off of what happened to him at the top of the show. He's 20 years older, 20 years wiser, but also 20 years probably more beat down. And the, and the world has been just nothing but cruel to him. And they live in this post-apocalyptic society. And now he has to be responsible for this young girl that he doesn't want to be responsible for. But we, I think we see by the end of this, something takes, takes over him. Something changes in him where he becomes that protector. It becomes more raw and visceral where it's like, He's not really asking questions anymore. I think I think that natural instinct kicks in of him being a father, at least what that used to feel like for mm-hmm. him. And that's that's reflected in the game into the show. But what did you think about just the impetus and just the, the, the genesis of that relationship that we start to see between Joel and Ellie build out in this show? Yeah, man, there was just, you know, when 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 Joel first meets meets Ellie, you know, again, you can tell it's not you know the best she like tries to stab him <laughs> it's like a, a a lot going on and, and they clearly you know don't get along but you know part of that is i think because they are very similar in a lot of different ways to where they, they they're not in a place to become attached to anybody you know joel is very much that dude is broken you know he doesn't know what to do uh in and in, in where to go and who to attach to but it's something about you know, he he he. When he meets Ellie, he's like, "No, I can't do this again. I a, a little girl. I can't. Like, I can't. I can't possibly take on another daughter figure and have and lose her too. You know, I can't do both. 
I just, it's just, it, it, I, I, it's just not going to happen for me. And so, um, it's crazy to see him be put in position where he has to, like, he doesn't really have a choice because it's for, you know, uh, not only his survival, but what he later finds out down the line is for the survival of the world. And so it's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, it's always so interesting and crazy to see how it plays in the video game versus how it plays out here. You know, there's certain acting <laughs> things that you can do here that you're not going to get in the game. And, and I really love, I think, um, how it's playing out, man. But you can see that protector that does come out. You know, you kind of talk about how how uh, Sarah was the caretaker of him. and He's never really learned how to completely, I think, be Sarah's dad. If that makes sense, like, of course, they had a great relationship. He was a good dad. Don't get me wrong. But like her making him eggs is like, are you sure that's how that's supposed to go kind of type thing? But it kind of almost feels like that when Ellie comes around, it's 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 he she has enough similars to Joel where he's like, dang, maybe I have to, you know, kind of take the reins a little bit and do some things for you that you don't know how to do. And so it's 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 very interesting to see how even. Um, a man as old as Joe is has to kind of kick in and, and become in in shoot and learn how to how to uh, take care of somebody that he's never really learned how to do had to learn how to do before. Yeah, I think what's what's always just been most fascinating in playing the video game about the relationship between Joel and Ellie is how much you grow to love them and you grow to love the the kinship that they have towards each other and the fact that they really do love each other we we see that but it's a it's a really bumpy road to get there it's Mm -hmm. not clean it's not easy they talk mad shit to each other like Mm -hmm. ellie's mouth is wild as fuck she says anything (laughs) but while you grow to love them and you grow to become really affectionate for them there's also this element that they're kind of incendiary towards each other or for each other i should say like they're not I don't know if they're that good for each other. Mm. And I've always felt that way just because we we know what happens, right? We know what ultimately unfolds and it's really, really unfortunate. And I think the thing is that these two people are both coming into each other's lives at a very vulnerable moment. Yeah, Ellie, we know based off of what just happened to her prior to the events of this show, which they will cover later down in the season. Joel, obviously the tragedy in his life. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming into each other's lives at this very vulnerable moment, which in a way is good, but also in a way it's bringing out maybe some of the worst attributes about them as well. Some yeah. of the things that, that aren't the most admirable. And there's a, there's a morality and, and a greatness that, that, that we kind of have to be uncomfortable with and live in for quite a while and question like, well, did he do the right thing there? Was that, was that the way to go? And I guarantee you by the end of this, we're going to be asking all those questions like, yo, that you couldn't have done <laughs> that. You didn't really do that, did you? And right. so I think that that's just always going to be the looming feeling that we have with those two. And I just love that, Yes, we'll grow to love them and yes, we'll have this affection for them. But there's always like a sense of dread because you can just tell that some of the decisions being made, while they might be best for the characters in that specific moment, they have consequences and repercussions that are going to be vastly felt for for quite a while um, over the course of this story and what they what they tend to do. Um, as we just, you know, sort of wrap up here, I do just want to get your thoughts and impressions as 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 two guys who have played the video game. What are you just most looking forward to about the rest of the series? We have eight more episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in, in the best way that you can, talking around like specific stuff, but we know <laughs> that certain characters are coming. We know yeah. that they are going to cover certain storylines. The Left Behind, which was a DLC pack in the first game, will be covered later down mm-hmm. in, 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 this, in this upcoming season. You know, what are some of the things that you were just like, oh, I can't wait until they get to that part? Because that, that moment in the video game is so iconic. I can't wait to see how they translate it because the game has so many of those iconic moments. So many of those memorable set pieces. It, yeah. it feels like an endless list. What are you most looking forward to over the course of the season? 
man, there's like you said, there's so many story moments. Um, I'm I'm again, no spoilers here. I'm waiting to see how they how they treat uh, Sam and Henry, uh, who are oh. two black <laughs> yes. characters in the series. <laughs> I just want to know what they're going to do with them in the show. I think that's very important for me to see how that goes down. Um, other than that, uh, two more moments. One, I want to see, again, this is kind of spoilery, but not really spoil. I want to see if they put a giraffe in this damn show. I really have to see that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, is there going to be? Google it if you don't know. Just Google it. going to be a giraffe it, yeah. here? Um, and then last but not least, it's something about zombie apocalypse and hospitals. Um, I really want to see this just hospital stuff, man. I, I have to, it's just always cool. I don't know. Some of the hospitals that, you know, in, in a pandemic, it just goes down at the hospital and it tends to be one of the most dangerous places. And the last of us is no exception to that. Um, and so I'm over here thinking like, Hmm, I wonder what, yeah, just, 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 just how that's going to look, how they're going to make it look. I think the, this, this show was already shot pretty well, but I'm curious to see how they do, how they, uh, how they make it look. And, and my last little last thing I add, I can't wait to see these dang clickers, man. Um, of course we keep seeing the, the shot of it. We keep seeing in this episode, we see like the, 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 you know, like the cocoon of one, one is kind of being built on the wall, but I can't wait to see like how they interact with them in this show. You know, I want to see how often they pop up in the show. Cause of course, you know, in the video game, we see them all the goddamn time, you know what I'm saying? But here, I'm just curious to see how they how they use these uh, again these crazy uh, uh, mutated humans, you know, as a as a device not only for action but again for what to propel the story forward in the TV show. So yeah, those are some of the things and moments I'm looking forward to. Quick quick follow up about that with the clickers and things. One of the changes I forgot to bring this up earlier, but one of the changes, one of the notable changes that they made from the video game to the TV series, no spores, which we know in the video game, that yes. was a, an, an airborne element yeah, to this viral on. infection. Mm-hmm. You had to put mask on because if you denied, that would that would infect you. They've taken that out of the show. I, I would presume it's because you don't want to mask your main characters for, for good portions of the show. Anytime That's they would true. have to go inside a hospital or a building or into darkness and put on a mask. Well, that makes it really hard to see Pedro Pascal's face. But what do you think about that? Because that was that was a huge element in the games. Like there, there's so many environments and elements where you have to like put that mask on because if you don't, that that means your death. Shoot, he's the Mandalorian. He would have been fine. Um, <laughs> no, but it's it's I, part of me feels like they could have figured it out. You know, because I, I, if I remember right, some of the makeshift masks in the video game were made from like two liter of Coke bottles and stuff. Where like, yeah, it's kind of mm-hmm. semi transparent and see through. In my mind, it would have been nice. Like if you include spores but you don't have to spend too much time on it you know what i'm saying like learn how to like make moments with it and moments without it maybe i don't know i feel like they could have figured it out but i i understand the decision for sure but part of me feels like they could have figured it out still i don't know yeah there might have been a way but uh ultimately if it's if, if it's preserved the performances if they if they got to a place where they found it to be too, too difficult i get it i i would ima- i would mm-hmm. imagine that they probably had a good reason for it but um, I'm probably most looking forward to outside of the things you mentioned. I'm really curious to see the whole section with uh, with the character Bill, um, who's going to be played by Nick Offerman. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a good section in the video game where you you meet this character. He's in this abandoned town, um, and basically Joel needs him for something, and so they come into contact with each other. But in the game, there are so many funny interactions between Bill and Ellie. They just mm-hmm. talk so much shit to each other. They do not like each other at all. Oh. It's it's some of the funniest dialogue, which is it's kind of surprising about The Last of Us. There's a lot of humor in this as well and so i think Mm -hmm. that stuff is going to be really interesting because i know 
in the research that they've expanded Bill's story in this. And I think that there's going to at least be a portion of an episode where we get to see his relationship with another character, which is alluded to in the video game, but not really, there's not really much time devoted to it. But yeah. I think the the relationship between Bill and Frank, which is going to come, I, I would presume probably episode three or episode four relatively soon in the, in the season, there will be a lot more that that's really developed and showcased to that. But outside of that, the finale is going to be, it's going to be a lot. I it's think the finale is going to be, it's gonna it's gonna be a mess. Yes. It's gonna be a big fucking mess, and the way that it's gonna end is gonna be pretty. And I think that they had a shot in the in the in the season preview mm-hmm. at the very end of it. If it, you talked about the hospitals point, yep. I think that there was a shot in there, and I was like, oh my god, like my heart literally <laughs> dropped because yep. I was like, I think that that's that moment. So yep. yeah, it'll be it'll be a great next eight weeks as we as we continue to talk about the show. We'll figure out how we'll cover it and and how frequently how frequently we cover it. But I, I certainly don't doubt that we will certainly revisit the Last of Us over the course of the next few weeks. But but if you've checked out the series premiere of The Last of Us on HBO, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to go ahead and transition to our next section of the episode in which we just got to catch up and break down all the stuff we've been watching over the past few weeks since we have not been on air and recording a podcast. There's been several things on the TBM movie side of things that we've checked out, both in theaters and on streaming, that we just want to quickly cover and catch up, catch up ourselves with and, and make sure that we can give our thoughts on. Um, so there's quite a few things here. We'll just quickly, you know, sort of go through them and give our thoughts and impressions about them, whether or not we saw them. Um, but I do want to start with maybe the most recent stuff and kind of start with things that we've checked out recently that have come out in 2023 already. And that means we got to start with Megan, which has become this (laughs) sensation in theaters and online on social media. I mean, Megan was a trailer that we got maybe two months ago. I think the first time we saw it was probably around Halloween ends was when Universal decided to drop the marketing for Megan. And instantly it became a thing. It became like, wait a second, we got another killer doll movie (laughs) coming. She's dancing. She looks incredibly realistic. It's the killer doll movie for Gen Z. Like all of these things became very apparent when we saw Megan. And I think over the past few weeks, the marketing for it, both intentional and unintentional, has just been fascinating yeah. and, and and amazing, quite quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Just how they've been able to tap into an audience and really make this make this movie available and, and accessible to all audiences and to get people really excited about it. It's become a thing. And and it debuted at number two. It was right behind Avatar and had a really, really impressive, I think, thirty million dollar domestic debut but we got a chance to see this opening weekend as well what what were your thoughts about megan and how they you know ultimately told that story oh man you know i was excited for this movie especially you know knowing who it was coming out of um you know you know produced by james wan um he of course he didn't get to direct this one but we we feel differently about malignant i really like malignant <laughs> but i felt this movie kind of fill in that same vein i think of like commentary campy you know what i mean kind of horror film that 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 we could look forward to and so i i i found myself you know really enjoying megan um i again i love the promotion for this movie i mean all these girls that's dressed up as megan doing the same dances is the weirdest thing ever but i think it's it's, it's, it's just such good marketing um that that goes into i think why a lot of people pulled up for the movie you know a movie all this, this, I think this box office that happens for this film doesn't just happen. You know what I'm saying? I think the marketing really propelled this thing for people to go and see this film. Not only that, but people were really intrigued by doll movies. You know what I'm saying? Annabelle in, in Chucky always do somewhat decent because it's just something about the concept that gets people that makes them want to go watch these films. And so Megan kind of feels that same uh feels that same vein but I, I i really did enjoy the movie one of my the things about this movie i like that i don't think i've seen coming completely is the just the idea of loss and how a child has to 
uh, uh, cope with that loss. You know what I mean? And 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 also, it seems like they have some real psychology in this movie too. But what it looks like for you know somebody that young to attach to something like a doll or attach to something that that you know like a toy um, in, in 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 this film. And, and, and another big commentary of this movie was just how. Big companies market those things too. Market these toys, and I think, I think all that, uh, just some of it, I didn't see coming. You know, Child's Play kind of has a little bit of that. Uh, other thing, Annabelle does kind of have a little bit of that, but Megan really does fill its own void and has its own lane in terms of what it's trying to say in terms of a film. And I appreciated that about it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> uh, I, I laughed numerous times, um, and I think that's what that's what helps you know the movie stay afloat for me was the comedy in in that commentary on what technology means today because one of the things that makes megan so scary is like you're like no that could exist you know that's and i think that's that 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 is what makes horror so good and when you actually can see something happening or see something um in front of your face that that's very possible and i think megan gives me gave me a lot of those feels um that yeah it gave me a lot of those feels man but it's violent it's wacky i had a good time with it man um i really don't have like a, a ton of nitpicks it's just not a super scary film i don't i hope people don't go into the movie thinking this is like a big horror film but i think it is it, it really is something worth watching and something um that shoot at some point the way it's looking some people are going to consider this a, a, a early 2023 classic you know what i'm saying like oh this is one of the best movies to come out this year I, the, the 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 rave reviews are, are looking like that so I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of legs it has but it was a fine movie man and i enjoyed myself yeah, you know, Megan feels like the best Black Mirror episode that they never made because of just the over-reliance on technology and how that's just a consistent theme, you know, throughout mm-hmm. this movie where technology becomes just so pervasive and so relevant and so so much of a, I guess, of, of a crutch, you know, to a lot of people that, you know, now we're introducing this doll that can be a caretaker and could be present for a child in ways that a parent doesn't have to be, mm. which is a scary thought because it should never come to that. But that's what this movie is exploring. But it was a great time. It was a great time at the movies. Megan is, is the best example of something that knows exactly what it is. Yeah. It knows exactly what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a B-level psychological science fiction thriller horror movie. And it leaned all the way into that. But it also leans into the campy fun because you look at Chucky and what they did. Those movies are never serious. They're meant to be things that you laugh at. And then 10 years ago, we get the Annabelle films, which is, you know, for the millennial generation. But now, like, Gen Z will have Megan. That's going to be their killer doll movie, you know. And they're going to make they're going to make seven of these, you know, in the next, like, 10 years. They're going to make so many Megan movies. We're going to get sick of them. Like, damn, they're doing... I don't know what they're going to do with Megan 3 because they already, you know, sort of used the the three in, in the title. I don't know how they're going to market that. They're going to have to figure out something creative. They might have they might have blew that a little early, but they'll figure out a way. I just can't wait to see what else they do with it. But it was just such a fun time. Yeah. So enjoyable, funny, unpredictable, too. I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily see everywhere it was going to go in terms of how this doll was going to interact with humans and be a part of like this new society. But it was it was really creative and I really enjoyed it. Um, let's keep moving here. You uh, just watch Velma on HBO Max, or you're at least watching it right now. What do you What do you think about it so yeah, far? Yeah, man, the first two episodes premiere. Those who don't know, I'm a huge Scooby Doo fan. It's like legit. That's, that's my shit. I love Scooby Doo. Um, so I had to go check out this this Velma, right, which was um said to be a more adult animated mystery, um a little more mature on this on the side of things. Um, this is this is uh developed by Charlie Grandy, but it's it's. It's very interesting, man. Um, uh, the main cast, uh, uh, Velma, is played by Mindy uh, Kaling. And then um, Fred is played by Glenn Howerton. 
Norville Rogers, who is Shaggy. He's not called by Shaggy in the show pretty much at all. It's played by Sam Richardson. And Daphne Blake is played by Constance Wu. Um, and so it's 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 this show is like making out uh, to be, again, a more mature idea take on Velma, the character, her solving mysteries. And overall, man, it's been a really weird mixed bag for me. To, to be honest, a lot of the comedy and the way things hit, it feels like Harley Quinn. I feels like I'm, a lot of times I'm watching it, I feel like I'm watching Harley Quinn. I'm like, y'all could have just made Harley Quinn, but like, or like helped write a Harley Quinn episode or something. But what 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 also was really taking me, not necessarily out of it, because it's an okay watch, but what is taking me out of it is part of me feels like you didn't have to put Velma on the show at all. Like, just come up with your new characters and then call it something else, and I would have been fine with the show. But because it is called Velma, when I'm watching the show, I'm looking for very Velma things, very Velma traits. I see Shaggy's in the show. I'm looking for very Shaggy traits. But they're changing so much that it almost doesn't feel like they should have called it Velma at all. It almost doesn't feel like they should have included some of these people at all. I feel like what they are trying to do, though, was give, like, commentary on the characters we already know that they have we know fred is rich so they play off of the rich white boy they they try to be funny and like not only is shaggy black but now he like also he brings up frequently how he doesn't like drugs in the show we know shaggy is like we know him as you know uh to be like this dude that seems like he's always high all the time you know what i'm saying so it's weird that they're changing characters in these ways and sometimes they don't go far enough right daphne very much supposed to be the pretty white girl in the show and the character looks like She's still supposed to be this pretty white girl, but it's played by Constance Wu and brought up in the show how she's Asian. In the character design, she doesn't look Asian at all. So I was like, that's very weird for me, looking at like knowing Constance Wu is playing this character. And, there, and she's like, in the show, I'm Asian. And I was like, are you sure? Like, I, like, I don't know. It's just, to me, I, I feel like if you're going to go there, make the character actually look that way. You can tell Shaggy's black. Why doesn't? Daphne look Asian if that's what the where you're gonna go so yeah it's a very mixed bag for me right now some some things are funny some things aren't but because it feels too much like Harley Quinn because it's like taking away some of the DNA of these Scooby-Doo characters and not building on them the way I thought it would it's just very weird for me man it's it's an okay watch so far though I, maybe it'll grow maybe things will change later on down the line only two episodes are out so far it comes out on Thursdays but it's, it's something that I think is is going to be a, a hit or miss for a lot of people this is even more interesting because David Zaslav, uh, I mean, his he, he, he's not really prioritized animation over there lately, uh, as we've seen just numerous cancellations. I just wonder what they're doing with Scooby-Doo at this point, because they canceled the Scoob sequel that they were making. That whole thing just got completely axed and they were in development on it. Yeah. And we're still getting this Velma show. So there's still some sort of propensity to, to have this stuff around. But like, what are they doing with it mm -hmm. at this point? Like, what's really the point of it? But yeah, I, I saw a lot of mixed reaction to it. So it seemed like one of those things where it's like, yeah, they're, they're definitely riffing on Harley Quinn a lot here. You can tell just based off of the trailers and the, and the promotion of it. But it's also like, what are they actually saying that's going to be new and interesting? So exactly. um, sounds like it's, you know, definitely in that mixed camp so far. Um, we went to the movies this past weekend to check out Gerard Butler's new film, Plane. Uh, aptly titled movie. Very, very basic and simple. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Gerard Butler, he's, he's carved out his own lane in Hollywood. The guy can essentially will any movie he wants into existence somehow he's a producer on a lot of his projects he's also you know been a part of the the has fallen franchise yeah. olympus has fallen london has fallen angel has fallen they have another one coming out i think it's called night has fallen the guy just knows how to get stuff made and i gotta say 
not all of his movies are great, but a lot of the time I typically enjoy myself at a Gerard Butler movie. Like yeah. he most recently did Cop Shop, really good, enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. The Has Fallen series, I like the first two. I don't really like Angel Has Fallen, but he knows how to really kind of show up and give us give us a throwback to an era that doesn't really exist anymore. And I think that that's that's what Plane was all about. This is really just kind of a true blue, old school, early '90s action movie. What we would used to see from a, from a Harrison Ford, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day, or yeah. or you know, maybe maybe a Jean Claude Van Damme, Bruce Willis. Like it's just that type of action movie. Very simple, very basic premise. He's a pilot. He safely lands his plane after it's you know threatened to crash. And he ends up in the crossfire of of a militia group on on a strange <laughs> island, and he has to fight for the survival of himself and also the passengers that did survive the plane crash. And it's just it's just that basic. And I had a really really good time. I thought it was I thought it was really fun. Um, it actually made sense. It wasn't like over the top and and mm-hmm. wacky. It was actually something that felt like it was really kind of based in what could maybe happen if something like this were to go down. We've heard yeah. about plane crashes and planes disappearing all the time. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what this movie is leaning into that, that fear and apprehension of like, well, what if my plane just ended up over a body of water and we had no idea where we were and then just it vanishes. Right. And Gerard Butler is absolutely, absolutely taking this whole project seriously. And I think, I think it's all the better for it. The action was really good. They filmed on real locations. They went to Puerto Rico and filmed this movie. You can tell it's not mm-hmm. on a green screen. Thank goodness. Like thank all of that stuff is actually happening. So it just made me, it made me, you know, get all in my feels about the nostalgia I used to get watching those old school eighties actions movies. Cause we, we just never see them anymore. Now everything that's action is related to a superhero film and it has like a big $200 million budget behind it, but somehow it looks worse than this movie does. And this movie has maybe a third of that budget, if that. So I just really enjoyed myself. I thought Gerard Butler did great. Mike Holter was also, you know, really, really, um, really good in this role as well as, as one of the, one of the leads. And so it was just, a, it was a good time at the movies. Man, I don't have too much to add to that, but I was in that thing having a really good time, man. It's, it's, there's movies like this where sometimes I don't always expect to be as enthralled but I was in it in this movie, man, and uh, uh, su- surprisingly, maybe not surprisingly, a lot of it was in the just in the beginning when the plane. We were watching the plane go down. I was they had me, man. I was really glued into the screen. I loved everything happening. I loved every. I love how technical every uh, everything felt. I love the tension that they were able to build. I think when in 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 some of those moments, man. But I thought it was well done. I thought it was fun. I think that this movie is going to. I think it's going to be a crazy TV movie. I know a lot of people ain't going to go see this in theaters, but I bet you when this thing pops on TV, I think a lot of people are really going to enjoy themselves, man. I think it has that kind of. It's like a first half of the movie, second half of the movie thing, you know, where it's like, yeah, this is this is this is going to be really dope um, on television, man. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I like Gerard Butler and Mike Coulter being together. They're just two dudes <laughs> doing it up, you know what I'm saying? Two dudes who, who've always been um, or who are just action guys, and so. Also, like, Mike Holzer got bigger. I was like, what the heck has this dude been got going <laughs> on, man? But, yeah, it, it's I, I absolutely enjoyed myself watching this film, man. So uh, if you haven't seen Play, man, please go check it out. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people also kind of talk shit about the title of the movie. Like, oh, my God, how basic, playing. And it's like, well, you don't get it. If that if that's your reaction, you don't, <laughs> you don't get, get what you're trying to do here. There are so many good action movies with just these one words that are, that are super. <laughs> speed. Speed is how one, basic of, one can, of the greatest. Speed. That, <laughs> the and that's one of the greatest. Yep. I mean, Armageddon, Titanic, like these are one word movies. Like that's all you need sometimes. You just you get straight to the point. That's all we kind of need to see. Um, so, yeah, really, really enjoy playing. We also did a double header this past weekend. And in addition to seeing playing. We saw House Party, which we heard about a couple of years ago. It's the remake slash reboot that LeBron James and his company Spring Hill are responsible for. 
this was initially also going to go to HBO Max, but um, again, David Zaslav, he wants to put movies in theaters to maximize the investment and get return on them, and so he decided to drop this in theaters uh, in 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 the worst movie going month of the year, no no doubt. But he dropped it in January, and uh, we got a chance to see this. And I just got to say, unfortunately, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, to be honest, it, it was just not good, y'all. It was this is not a good movie. I mean, this is um, it, it might be a dumpster fire. It might be that bad. It, it's a it's a really. But, you know, to be fair, there are no good House Party sequels. None of them are good in my eyes. Like mm-hmm. House Party one classic just got inducted into the the National Film Registry Library of Congress. Like it, it's a seminal film for a lot of black youth and it it brings back a lot of nostalgia. They've tried to turn this into a franchise for the better part of 30 years. I don't like any of them. Mm. And I damn sure don't like this one. This one is just like, it's not doing it for me. There were a couple of moments that were funny. And it maybe not even funny, just more so like, did they really just fucking do that? Mm. Or did they really just recreate an entire sequence from another movie that's much better than this one? But beyond that, it's just not a, It's just not an experience that I can say much more about. It, it wasn't that enjoyable. Yeah, man. Um, House Party 2 has a little merit to it. It's like kid and play friendship things going on there. So I don't mind House Party 2. But man it it out of oh boy uh what more can you say about this film to be honest it really was just unfortunate across the board it what made it so annoying i think for me was like there's blueprints of other movies that i would have loved for them to take influence of like their project x exists the first house party exists like try to merge the two and make it bigger and better like project x is a decent film to me you know what i'm saying like i don't know like there's things you could have done better and they just don't do them and sometimes when they do try to use the influence of like house party one it's like corny or it's like whack very corny it's like are we serious here like this not the same thing at all it's like they thought it was the same thing like i i just can't imagine them filming and being like we did it (laughs) like we recreated the feel of house party like no you didn't like i don't know where they got it from so yeah it's it's just very sad and unfortunate um there's a i will there's only there's a couple moments i laughed i was like eh, that was kind of funny but overall man this is definitely uh you, you know some some reviewers do like wait for streaming this is me telling you what <laughs> to wait 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 for streaming if you want to watch it wait for streaming i probably don't even recommend it then but wait for streaming so yeah just or maybe just don't wait because it might <laughs> it might not be worth your time at all i mean and what's crazy too about it this is the last thing I'll say. The premise is actually a good one. Yeah. The idea that these two guys are cleaners, they're cleaning LeBron's mansion. This is all in the trailer. And they decide to take his house and mm-hmm. basically turn it into a house party because he's going to be away. Like, that makes sense to me. And I, I can actually get with that idea. But the execution of it was just not. I mean, they literally recreated sequences from Belly and Eyes yeah, Wide Shut. Yeah, Belly. These mm-hmm. mo- and these movies have nothing in common. Belly and Eyes Wide, those, those, those couldn't be two more dissimilar movies, and they decided to just put those in there. It's almost like they were like, well, what are our favorite movies? Let's just like recreate that sequence. Ridiculous. So another movie that actually just debuted on streaming, Sick, came out this past weekend on Peacock, which yes. I'm very surprised because I heard literally nothing about this movie i knew nothing <laughs> about this coming out i had no idea that it was a thing and then randomly kevin williamson the writer behind the screen films tweeted about it and said like yeah check out sick this past weekend it debuted on peacock and i'm like well, wait kevin williamson like i like him he, he has very smart scripts he's always you know written for the mm-hmm. screen franchise even the most recent ones and so definitely wanted to check this out and see how it was what did you think about sick and, and overall like how, how the performance of the movie is yeah man it's cool um it's not uh, for some reason, I don't know. I hear a movie, it goes under the radar. It's I don't know. Sometimes it just seems like, dang, this movie can't be good. But I actually enjoyed myself watching it for the most part, man. There's there's 
there's there's uh you know fun slasher things to be had here you know kevin williamson who did the you know original scream is here to write just this random movie to put on peacock kind of but it's 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 it has it's it's a slasher film but it's trying to it has a a, a it's interesting take on the pandemic on COVID. Um, and to be honest, some of those moments where there is a story that is surrounding COVID in the pandemic, it ha- there's some things that happen in the middle of the movie where they're trying to, of course, this is a Kevin Williamson fan, right? So like there's, the, there's always like the Scooby-Doo pull the mask off. <laughs> this is the killer and why they, why they did what they did. Um, but, but some, some of the, some of that stuff does tend to be more interesting but it is also was like it took away from it for me a little bit because it seemed kind of cheesy. I think he is trying to make some of it, you know, kind of funny um, in in terms of not necessarily making fun of the pandemic, but making fun of how people could be during the pandemic. But I think overall, this is a very fine at home slasher film, man. I think it's shot. You could tell it's shot pretty decently. You could tell it's directed really well. A lot of the action is directed, I think, really well um yeah and i think it works man i think if anybody's looking for it again a nice friday night it's only hour 20 or something like that i say go for it um the main two actresses i think uh gideon adlin and oh my god i don't i don't even know the name of the other girl unfortunately oh beth million i actually know yes. her um yeah i actually know her i i used to um when i was working at nyu we actually worked together for a little bit and she was in tish while i was there and so i actually know Beth. That, so when i saw the dope. movie and saw her pop up i was like what the fuck? Like, wait a second. This was kind of crazy, but yeah, yeah they they uh, they were really impressive. Yeah, no, that's dope that you know her because uh, they they were like I thought they I thought they did a tremendous job, you know, to be honest in the film. So yeah, man, they made me enjoy it as well. That uh, and then uh, again with good directed action, I was I was pretty into it. So I, I liked it, man. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a good movie. I think um, one of the things that I liked about this is that it is like a pandemic thriller. You know, we're leaning mm-hmm. into the idea of like creating movies and, and and splitting genres based off of events that happened in the pandemic, which this could be something that totally happens if you see how this movie plays out and ultimately like what the motivations of the characters is by the end of it. Like, it's not that far fetched. Like something like this could it's happen true. because people are fucking crazy out here. Absolutely. Um, but I, I thought that this was good. And I, I just loved how mean it was. I loved how cruel it is. Like Kevin Williamson, like he he's not taking it easy. Like where we get a Megan, which is you know supposed to be a fun campy experience which is great sick is like the epitome of like yo this is just like some really mean horrific shit that can happen and Mm -hmm. and you know you don't know if people are going to survive because the people behind the mask the people with the weapons in their hands they are willing to do whatever it takes to to achieve their objective or to to gain whatever revenge they're looking for and it's quite it's quite frightening when you look at it in that perspective because it is it is so real it feels so very much based in reality and so i think it's a i think it's a fine at home watch i wish it got more promotion and a little bit more steam behind it so more people knew about it Mm -hmm. but uh people do discover it on peacock i think it's definitely something that you won't regret regret watching um let's move into 2022 things there were a lot of things that we saw like towards the end of the year as we talked about in tuesday's episode that came out earlier this week some things that squeaked into our top 10 lists some things that you know we just had to catch up and see that we couldn't get a chance to formally talk about on the show but we'll cover here first up just want to quickly talk about the best man the final chapters which debuted a few days before christmas i believe Mm -hmm. also on peacock We've known about this for a while. We knew that Malcolm D. Lee and company were coming back to do this limited series on Peacock. Now, The Best Man and The Best Man Holiday were both films. They were theatrical films released respectively in 1999 and then in 2013. And so it's been about a decade since they've revisited these characters in the story. But they decided to transition it and make it into a limited series, which I think is a, a, a smart choice, I think, overall, just because of the, the nature of where the landscape is now. If this is going to be the last time we spend with these characters, well, 
maybe we should give them a little bit more run, runway and a little bit more opportunity to tell their story and flesh it out so that people can feel like a satisfactory experience, right? Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side of that, you also have to consider, well, significantly more writing and story has to be developed for these characters. And so I think that that might have worked against it a little bit. But overall, I did get a chance to watch this and I rewatched the first two just to you know, refamiliarize myself with this world and these characters. And overall, it was it was good. It was good. It felt in the same spirit of the Best Man franchise. Yeah. All the characters are very much still consistent with who they were in those first two movies while still continuing to grow and change over the course of history um, and their relationship with each other. I think what I like the best about it is the fact that, you know, we're looking at black people living in, in, in their middle age era, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that we can just like spend time there. Like these people are in their in their 40s and in their 50s and they've lived a lot of life. And so they're kind of at these these really turning points of, of, of their own existences where they have to make these really crucial decisions. They have kids, they have marriages. Some of them are working, some of them are not working. So a lot of real world stuff. And again, it's with actors and people that we've grown up with that we really like Regina Hall and Tay Diggs and Morris Chestnut and yeah. Neil Long, like they've just been around for so long. And so it's just like a treat and a pleasure to see them all back together and to see that they're still so close and they, they could just, they could fall right back into these characters. So I really enjoyed it. My, my one big caveat is that, Eight episodes was probably a little too much. They they mm-hmm. they they likely could have achieved it in six. I think if they if they really focused in on the story, there were some subplots that didn't work as well for me. But overall, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's fine and it totally fits in with everything that they've done with the other two movies up until this point. Yeah, the original Best Man is probably one of my favorite movies, um, and it's it's just one of my comfort spaces. You know, when it's, so this TV show comes around, and as I'm watching it, I don't know, I just feel comfortable again in, in, in watching it and seeing all these people's faces of all the actors and actresses that you just named, man. It just felt so good to kind of relive these people or see these people in a later time in life. You know, I, I love how now it feels like a beginning, middle, and end for these characters in some ways, you know what I mean, in terms of storytelling. The best men's the beginning, holiday's the middle, and then what these final chapters look like um, in, in, in the end of, of, of the story of these characters. I thought that was that was pretty well done, man. I, I enjoyed myself. I did. Um, I think they had things to say. You know, you kind of talk about, you know, your favorite things about, you know, what this TV show is. And I think another just to add on to what you said, I love how these are all black characters who are most of them not only successful, but like we can feel like their wealth through the series. You know what I mean? These people are living in crazy houses. They got some crazy jobs. They have they're just not a lot of black content where the there's a group of black friends and they're all very much very successful and i just i love seeing that um no matter in what capacity it's like dang these dudes these people got money like i was like dang that's new york (laughs) that's supposed to be brooklyn that's a that's an apartment in brooklyn like y'all y'all really make money out here and so i I love seeing that man but there's a lot of big stories here man there's a lot of a lot of people won't see this ending as a happy ending you know what i mean a lot of people won't see the things that this show wrestles with as as happy or 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 things that to be reckoned with but it had i think it had a lot of things to say it had a lot of things to tackle like you said all the subplots don't work but the fact that it tried to talk about some of the things that it tried to talk about was a w in my book and and some of them they did i think quite well um but yeah they covered a lot of topics in 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 eight episodes and i agree though i think they could have shaved it down to shoot one episode two episodes shorter to make it a little bit more concise maybe took out one of those subplots maybe taking out one of those things that they're trying to talk about um to make it a little more clean but 
I think it was pretty well done. The only last thing I will add is a very small nitpick. I'm not sure if you haven't seen the other best men that you would have been like, I love this. You know, I feel like you would have been confused at a lot of different parts. Because I've seen Definitely. it, I didn't have to ask any questions. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a big best man fan, but I, I can imagine somebody coming into this is like, oh, this best man final chapter is a good show. And they try to watch it and they're like, okay, but why is this shoot the first couple episodes why is this marriage thing so important you know what i mean like why is this happening kind of type thing i don't think they'd get it so that's my other little nitpick but other than that man i, I very much enjoyed myself and i'm proud of that this is the last thing that came out of this uh this this, this movie yeah they tried to recap or at least provide a recap at the top of it which is it's fine it's suitable but i you you do kind of have to see the other two movies like mm-hmm. it's really integral to the story just to see like where these characters started to where they are now and um, just like those relationships because it, it's all it's all touched on even even past events and past things that have occurred exactly. between everybody it's it's very much touched on here and they they resolve or at least advance those stories to to the next stage of of where they are so definitely i think something to watch and something that people will enjoy if you're a fan of those films um next on the list is puss and boots the last wish i got a chance to check this out and go to the theaters this is uh this is one of the best animated movies of 2022 which i couldn't have called i i did not i did not expect that coming into it the first (laughs) puss in boots i had never saw as a matter of fact just to be honest with people I've never been huge on Shrek. It, Shrek is not like something that I've always <gasps> been like a big yes. fan of. I know it's crazy. It's it's forbidden to say something like that. Nah, I've seen the funny. first one and I saw pieces of the second one, but it just never did anything for me because it, it's really because of the age that Shrek hit me. Like I was a teenager when Shrek was coming out. And then like when those other sequels were coming out, I was starting to like really get up there in age and get into college. I just wasn't mm-hmm. watching that stuff at that time. It just wasn't it wasn't tapping into me. Now that I've gone back and I've seen them, you know, the first Shrek is still like, that's a that's a classic film. It did what it needed to do. And then the first Puss in Boots is actually like, that's actually a pretty decent movie. I actually had a lot of fun with mm-hmm. it and watching it. And I was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. I didn't expect them to go that different route with it and really lean into, you know, I think what Antonio Banderas already did with Zorro, but having a lot yeah. of fun with that. But The Last Wish comes out and it's like, well, wait a second. They have made this a really emotional, really heartfelt story about a lot of real things that... I think we can just all relate to most essentially our mortality and what that looks like. You know, Mm. cats theoretically have nine lives. And so Puss in Boots has to deal with the fact that, hey, man, you only have one life left. So, like, Mm. what are you going to do now? You got a way out of all these circumstances and situations. You've been a master trickster. You've done heists. You've committed robberies. Like, you're the goat, my guy. Mm. But now you're on your last leg. So what does that fear look like for you now? What is that mortality that you have to deal with now? And I'm like, oh, this is actually really adult mature. And this movie also produced an incredible villain. The wolf in this movie, who was like the central antagonist, is phenomenal. It's such a good villain. And the last thing that I'll quickly say is that they employed some new animated technology here, very much akin to what they did in Spider-Man into the Mm Spider-Verse. A lot of um, reduced frame rates where, you know, some of the frames skip and a lot of not stop motion, but just reduce frame rates so mm. that it looks a little bit more pixelated than the smooth CG animation that we're used to. And it really, really works. And I love that they did that. I love that we we get more of these animated films taking you know a few more risks and chances like that because they didn't do that at all in the first one. And I think that they definitely took some influence from the Into the Spider-Verse team and implemented that here in key moments, mostly the action sequences. And it looked incredible. The music was great. The voice acting was was really tremendous. I can't wait to watch it again. I know it's available on VOD right now, and it'll soon, you know, probably be available on streaming. But it was it was super enjoyable. Yeah, I seen all the 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 hype around it, man. Uh, I've, animation Twitter really really likes this movie, so I can't I can't wait to check it out. Um, I have I, I am a pretty big Shrek fan, I think. Even though I, I also I, I also haven't seen the first Puss in Boots, I have no idea <laughs> what that movie is even about, but. 
I, I, I have seen that people like that movie too. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very interested um, in this film, man. Especially, again, it seems like a, a lot of those, 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 those animated movies that were really good are coming out of that last minute of 2022. You know what I mean? Like they were also dropping kind of simultaneously. So I can't wait to check it out and see what that movie provides, man. Yeah, and it has really long legs right now. It's performing exceptionally well at the box office. I think it's already crossed 100 mil. Um, and they had a Puss in Boots show on Netflix for like some years. They did. That was right. just like running. And I, 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 I knew about it, but I never, you know, watched it or tapped into it because I just wasn't, I wasn't leaning into that franchise in that way. But yeah, there's been there's been a wealth of Puss in Boots stuff. But yeah, definitely encourage people to check this out if you're a fan of Shrek or or the Puss in Boots character. Um, you got a chance to check out Till. I haven't seen this, but I know this is something we've talked about quite a lot, especially as we approach, or at least right now we're in award season. This is getting a lot of conversation around it. What did you uh, What you think about Till? Yeah, man, we've been in this landscape where you know, of course, over the past, whew, let's say, let's just give it. 15 years we've seen a lot of civil rights movies we've seen a lot of you know selmas have come out or even uh to 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 throw it back we've seen a lot of 12 years we've seen a lot of black trauma and grief films come to light you know and it seemed it seemed like all that had been exhausted for a while um you know we kind of talk about when we were talking about emancipation i kind of tried to make the point like i feel like unless you have a story to tell unless you have a perspective to tell i don't know if you should be telling any of those stories anymore and I think Till is the perfect example of what it means to look like when there's still a perspective that hasn't been completely showcased or completely told that can still have some feeling to it and Till is is not really only about the reframing of the historic murder of Emmett Till but it's really about what his mother in her stance and what it looked what it looked like for her at that point in time and what it looked like to have to your son gets beaten brutally and the pictures come out and it barely looks like him and what it looks like to have to identify that body what it looks like then to have to have funeral arrangement what it does look like then for somebody to come up to you and be like we need political steam off of this thing you know a lot of people don't know this the death of Emmett Till was really the thing that started the civil rights movement like that was the that was the that was it that was the definitely the catalyst like it was it it took the death of the, that young boy to really propel people and to be like oh yeah this is the last straw and so I actually enjoyed myself you know watching this film not only because um I think I had never seen the story told in that way but because Danielle Deadweiler she was acting I mean, there's a moment where um, she's 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 in the courtroom having to give her testimony and the camera does not leave her. And I knew that I was like, they're going to be talking about her come award season like that. What that moment that I seen was like, yeah, they got that. That's the one like they're going to be talking about her. And so Till has very much rightfully so kind of been in, in, in some Academy talk awards talk. I don't think the, the movie will do much, but her performance, I think, will. Um, the movie's good. Don't get me wrong. It's just. I think the Oscars have moved away from some of the, some titles that feel like this um, in, in, in some way. Plus, this year is just ridiculous with the other movies they have going on. But I definitely think Daniel Deadweiler is going to get talked about for her performance in this film, man. But I say if you can still if you can stand any more of that trauma, I know it is hard. It is till I, uh, it is Emmett Till, man. And the death, it, it does, it does still very much cover all of that. If you can stand it, I say definitely, definitely watch it. Um, if you don't just know that Daniel Deadweiler absolutely killed it as Mamie Till. Well, yeah, the perspective is important, right? Cause it's not 
from what I've heard, and you know, it sounds like that's the case based off of what you said about the movie. It's it's not just you know we're going to recount the horrific shit that happened to him. It's really mm-hmm. about the impact that it had on his mother and what she had to go through and how she you know became really a leader of the civil rights movement because of her actions and her decisions. And so I think it's important for that reason. I remember when I was uh, in high school, I actually visited Mississippi and saw the grocery store in which the whole encounter between Emmett Till and the and the young girl happened. And just mm-hmm. like being there in person and just like living in that space for the moment that I was, it was. It was really, it was troubling, you know, and to know that, like, finally, the story is being told, because it hasn't really been told widespread. Like, it's in yeah. textbooks, yes, and it's it's a part of history, absolutely, and if you make the intentional effort to dive into it, but we haven't gotten this really splashy movie adaptation in the way that we are with this film, and mm-hmm. so I think for that reason, it is important, it does have something to say. It's not just, you know, sort of existing alongside the same old shit that we've seen over the course of many, many years now. It's like... Well, yeah, it's probably really important to tell the story, especially after considering like what recently happened a few years ago with exactly. the, the, the admission of, of, the, of the young white girl you know, before she passed about how it all really happened and what, what the real you know, sort of actions were of, the, of that and entire the law situation. So just got passed last year. Anti-lynching law just happened. 2022. Exactly. That stuff is what? Like going on right now. So it's like, yeah, this, this, this does have a place. You know, it, it actually is one of those movies where it's like, it's not just telling the story for the sake of it. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is a real thing that's still affecting us, of course, to this day. Exactly. Um, the next movie, quickly, I just want to talk about is Women Talking. Saw this movie as well. Just based on the cast alone, I wanted to see this movie because it is stacked. You have just heavy hitters, Rooney Mar, Claire Foy, Jesse Buckley, Frances McDormand, like... Just really, really, really talented actresses a part of this ensemble. But Woman Talking is actually based on a novel that came out in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually inspired by real life events about this colony of women that live um, in this colony that's dominated by men. And many of the women have been raped or sexually assaulted. And the men of this colony are essentially telling them that these are just, you know, fever dreams. These are not really incidents that are happening. That stuff is in your head because of the sins that you did. This is why you were envisioning this happening to you. They are basically being gaslit to the the worst degree possible mm-hmm. um, and, and forced to figure out what they're going to make of their lives and what the what the next steps of their lives are going to be. And so this movie is literally just about a bunch of women talking like I kid you not. That is that is appropriately <laughs> titled. But I mean, for me, it was really, really riveting stuff. It's hard and difficult subject matter. It is not an easy watch. Um, it never gets gratuitous. There are never sequences or situations where you watch it and it's like, Jesus Christ, like we're just like having to like force ourselves to get through this and it feels like they're punishing us. It's never like that, but it's still a difficult movie to watch just based off of how they describe certain incidents, just based off of what's insinuated. But to see these women just, you know, sort of take this moment and rise up and go back and forth and debate about what the fate of their lives is going to be, whether they should stay, whether they should go, whether they should stay and fight, whether they should go and tell somebody, whether they should just, you know, deal with it, what's going to be of their children and their grandchildren, like all of that stuff was really, really riveting to me. And so I found this to be a a really, really just intriguing watch about something I had no idea about, right? And I I learned a lot just based off of this experience. And I think, again, the performances here from, from the lead actresses are just across the board incredible. Claire Foy was exceptional. She really stood kind of head and shoulders above everybody to me. Frances McDormand's not really in the movie. She's in like mm-hmm. two scenes and she doesn't really speak, but be that as it may, everybody else really stepped up to the play and it was it was a really fascinating movie. And it has it has one of the better scripts of 2022. So I think when we get to Academy season, when we talk about adapted screenplay, I I I, I would be very surprised if it's not a part of that conversation. Yeah, shout out to uh, Sarah Pauly, too, you know, for directing this. She was part of one of those Hollywood Reporter roundtables. Oh, just a quick announcement. 
if you have not been watching these Hollywood Reporter roundtables on YouTube, they are phenomenal. Like they keep putting, they are putting all the best people from last year in a room together, and it has just been great. So please, please go and watch those. But Sarah Pauly was a part. Um, of one of those two so she gave a lot of big insight about women talking i thought that was dope but i wanted to shout that out too um but yeah man i actually can't wait to see this movie it seems like one of those movies is just like very patient <laughs> but you, you know you know you know you just watch and, and and pretty much enjoy the dialogue and she was a part of that writer's round table where like she wouldn't even be there if the movie wasn't decent you know what i'm saying like every every person a part of that is a really good writer so i'll never forgive her for being in the movie splice but maybe i can forgive her for <laughs> one day for watching <laughs> a movie like <laughs> a movie like this man so yeah i'm excited to check it out yeah splice doesn't doesn't age that well not not the greatest not the greatest watch but it, it is what it is um next on the list <laughs> the invitation that was a horror movie that came out this past year uh the one with natalie emmanuel right i didn't yep. get a chance to see this one but uh Don't. you check this one out what you think <laughs> don't watch it um yeah uh -oh. it it the, the the best thing about this movie, or two good things about this movie, Natalie Emanuel, and it's shot, I think, very well, actually. There's a couple shots. It, just the way it looks, I think the color grading is very well done. Every every look in the movie, it was like, dang, I actually like the cinematic feel of this movie. Everything else, whoo, boy. Um, Yeah, maybe just leave this one in the vault. If it, Part of the reason I wanted to watch this is not only Natty Emanuel, of course, um, she's Bay, but also because I just like vampires and the idea of vampires. You know, I'm a big vampire guy, but this thing here, man, it is just it just falls off the rails. Like it's really your your typical girl falls in love with vampire but doesn't know he's vampire thing, and then what that looks like. The last act just I don't even know how we got there, man. It was just so ridiculous. Um, maybe somebody out there likes this movie. I don't know who does, but it's it's just not very good, man. It doesn't have a, a bunch to say. It doesn't have like a lot of good action. It's just not a very good movie, man. Um, so yeah, that I really don't, I don't really want to spend too much time on it. That's really it. That sucks. You hate to see it, especially in a year where there were just so many good examples of horror movies that came and surprised us and shocked us and wowed us in the best ways. Um, this this looked from the get go. I will say it looked from the get go just based off the previews. I remember when we were slotting out, you know, what we were going to see for the weekend in, the, in that particular. We were like, eh. we were like mm, I don't know about that one. We might we might we might be able to wait on that one. Um, and so it's unfortunate that that. That manifested and came to be true, but sometimes it's, that's the game. That's how it is. Um, the next one we got to talk about is After Sun, which is a big one because this ended up on many critics' end of the year list. It was in your top 10 end of the year list. It's been heralded as one of the best 10 films of the year by the National Board of Review. It was in the Sight and Sound poll. I mean, it's just been on the topic and conversation of a lot of people who have checked it out over the course of this past of these past few months. Um, it actually debuted in October, so it was, it's a relatively new film, and it's essentially about a young girl on vacation with her father, which is like on the eve of his 31st birthday, mm -hmm. um, and they're on this resort in Turkey, and so we're just kind of seeing their relationship unfold, but it also becomes a lot more deeper than that and becomes about a lot more things and just their relationship and how it changed and evolved over time, and this was something I know we both had to just check out just to, just to say we saw it, because it's like, oh, everybody's talking about it, well, mm -hmm. what, what's the hype about, and I, I would just say off the off the top, this is this is one a very very impressive and incredible movie. Um, it, it's one of those things that creeps up on you. I remember watching it, and the first maybe twenty minutes or so, I was like, okay, I'm here. Let's you know see how this goes. But I wasn't really moved by anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just kind of observing and, and watching this relationship unfold and trying to get a feel for the characters and like what what the you know motivation is or what the 
maybe the inciting incident is going to be. You don't really get a sense of that. But then as you progress and you just sit with the movie, and you just experience it and just let it wash over you. By the end of it, it's like, Jesus, wait a second. What did I just experience here? Mm-hmm. This is actually something incredibly profound. Also very, very sad. But yes. also at the same time, you know, still somewhat cheerful and joyful because of just the journey that these two go on. And mm-hmm. I just found it to be quite complex and interesting, although the movie from a script perspective, doesn't say that much. Like there's not much in terms of words on the page, right? But in yeah. terms of what you're observing and what you're witnessing and just how the whole thing really just transpires over the course of the the hour and a half or hour and 40 minutes, it was it was just a really it's a really profound movie and I think it's a it's another example of something that it might not hit you completely the first time or or maybe it will, but if it doesn't I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those things where it's like, damn, that actually kind of knocked me out the second time I saw it. Or maybe the more that I thought about it, it's like, this is actually kind of a crazy experience that I just witnessed, you know, on screen. So it's it's a really incredible movie. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Man, I think this is it also should be talked about as one of the best directorial debuts, I think, um, really, that I've ever seen. Because the, the, the kind of, like you said, there's not a ton of dialogue here to hold on to. There's not a ton of big inciting incidents that happens in this film but to be able to sit with these two characters of Callum and Sophie you know a mom or a, a father and a daughter in in for you to understand how they connect but also to understand how they disconnect was everything for me man it wasn't the first time I was like man this movie's really good but it took me the second time to go like what this is this is a piece of art <laughs> like oh I understand everything now I understand what, what what's happening here and I have to I gotta man Paul uh, Mescal and Frankie Corio superb acting chops man Frankie Corio to be as young as she is to to come in and to perform the way that she did it felt so natural it felt so I think it's very impressive um but the the movie has 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 so much to say and it's very devastating in in, in, in a couple of different ways and the what it the 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 meaning of the color yellow in the movie and i don't know just just a lot i think that this movie has it is it is a little long but it's it's uh i love it man i think it's a really 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 well done film um it's gonna go uh, hopefully somebody recognizes this movie in some way um I, i know a lot of critics are like you said it's getting a lot of these lists but hopefully it gets some awards somewhere for something because this is one of the ones I don't I really don't want to go by the wayside because it's, it's tremendous work done here, man. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed After Sun. Paul Mescal also is off of the strength of this performance becoming booked and busy. He is getting cast in so many things lately. He just got cast in, in the in the next Gladiator movie that Ridley Scott is about to make. And so he has a few projects lined up. And I think, again, it's off of the strength of what he was able to do in After Sun. So excited to see everything he does in the future. Um, next on the list is a documentary I checked out, Stutz, which was directed by Jonah Hill. This is the second film coming off of what he did a few years ago with mid nineties. Um, it's a really, it's it's kind of a documentary essentially. It's about you know him having a candid conversation with his uh his psychiatrist Phil Stutz, who is like one of the leading psychiatrists in his industry. He's wrote a mm-hmm. book about you know these things and these rules that you can follow about psychiatry and about therapy and just like these tools. I think the book is actually called The Tools um, that you can just follow to to lead to a, a more healthy, more prosperous more fulfilling life and you just kind of watch this conversation between him and a psychiatrist over the course of 90 minutes which was um you know it was really insightful because you learn a lot about Jonah Hill that he doesn't reveal in you know normal public spaces you get to see him be vulnerable you know you Mm -hmm. get to see him just talk to a, a human being that he trusts that he knows you know for quite a while and also what's interesting about this movie is that it it breaks convention in in a couple of interesting ways like the way that it starts 
versus what it becomes like maybe about 25 minutes into, it completely just changes its entire formula, which is kind of unexpected, but it made me laugh because it's Jonah Hill recognizing like, yeah, what we were just doing was some really fake shit. Like, we don't need to pretend and do this. Like, let's just be real. I want this to <laughs> yeah. be authentic. Like, there's literally a moment where Jonah Hill acknowledges that he's wearing a wig because he wants to maintain consistency from some shit that they shot like nine months ago. So he's wearing a wig from a former haircut. And it's really funny how they play it out. But this was a good watch. You know, it's 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 interesting if you care about therapy, you know, if you want to hear, you know, maybe a different perspective about therapy and maybe, you know, gain some life tools. I think I think it's a valuable watch. And it's also nice to see somebody like Jonah Hill, who is so famous, mm-hmm. just kind of expose himself in this way. Because I know he's gone on the record to say he's no longer doing any press for his movies, you know, anytime he directs something, he's just going to put it out, let it speak for itself. He doesn't want to, you know, sort of subject himself to the press run. And he's gotten a lot, asked a lot of like rude questions over the years. So I don't blame him at all. And so I think that this is kind of a reflection of just where he is as an artist. He just wants to yeah. let his work for, speak for himself. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, man. I can't wait to check that out um, either, man. It sounds like, I don't know, like he just hit some, uh, like a different milestone in his career where he's like, this is who I am, <laughs> you know, kind of type thing. Especially the dude's been killing it, you know. To be honest, like Jonah Hill has been on a a wave oh, of yeah. um, going crazy. The boy's directing and doing all these other things, so I I, I can't wait to see what he does next. Um, to be honest, something else that I got to check out here is it's actually a really old movie, um, and it's called Perfect Blue. It is a 1999 um, anime film. Uh, directed by uh, Satoshi Khan. It's actually directed from a book, I think, called Perfect Blue. And this is an uh, exceptionally well-done movie. It's actually known as one of the best movies of all time by some lists. It's like on a lot of top 100s. It's also on a lot of top 200s. But I had to bring it up because this is my first time watching it. I've been meaning to watch it five ever. Finally got around to it. It's on Shutter for those who want to watch it. But it is a psychological drama low-key um it's really about this 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 actress who or no not an actress but it's a uh she's a pop star and she's moving she's leaving pop stardom to become an actress and what the pressures of that change and her fans not wanting her to do certain things and pressures of her being a new actress how it has an effect on the mind and she starts to hallucinate and things are happening and there's murders and it's a lot going on man but i think it's exceptionally well done film man it's so good i understand exactly why it is where it is um and and yeah i don't want to add too much to that because it's, it's a hard movie to talk about without spoiling because it there's there's so much that goes into it but it's really good man it, the music is great the animation is 90s as you would expect as it came out in the 90s in 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 yeah it's 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 very well well done in terms of a, a, a story man and what it's trying to say about people who may have not necessarily a hundred percent mental um, health issues, but what it does mean for, for you to be put on a pedestal in some ways and for you to end up creating mental health issues for yourself or other people around you too, which is also interesting. So yeah, man, very well done. It's like a little slashery feel to it. It's very much, like I said, a psychological horror element to it, but it's, it's a good movie and people should check it out. A lot of genre bending there is what it sounds like, which is always really fascinating and intriguing to see. Even when you said it was on Shutter, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know Shutter had something like that. But yeah, it, it, it makes sense based off of the description that they can sort of lean into all these different things and, and say a lot about a lot of different things and topics. So it sounds really interesting. 
Um, I, I also checked out another movie, um, Whitney Houston, the Whitney Houston biopic. I want to dance with somebody, which came out over the holiday season. Um, I, I initially, to be honest, I was not going to go see this movie mm-hmm. because I'm just really out on music biopics. They just don't do anything for me at this day and age. I just don't really, I don't really find any joy in them just because their method and their formula is just so, it's so apparent and it's mm-hmm. so there and it's so obvious to me that I just, I find myself just like not really becoming invested into whatever story they're trying to tell. Cause I just, I just wish they would maybe take a perspective, maybe focus on a, an isolated incident, something that was really, really pivotal for that person, as opposed to let's do the cradle from the grave story and just tell their whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately I want to dance with somebody is the more formulaic version of a music biopic that you would expect to see. Um, it's, I mean, it's fine, I guess, you know, if you're a Whitney Houston fan, like it's nice to hear her music, but you can also just like go to Apple music or Spotify and listen to her music. <laughs> So they play all the hits, you know, they do all that stuff. Naomi Aki is good, you know, and I expected her to be good. She was she was a really good person. She actually looks like Whitney Houston at several mo- po- uh, points throughout the movie, which I didn't expect. Like when I saw the trailers, I was like, ah, you know, I don't know if she looks like Whitney. But the way mm-hmm. that they dressed her up and the makeup and the hair at several different eras, she actually does kind of res- resemble Whitney. Um, and so she did good. But overall, you know, it was just another another music biopic. I mean, if you've seen... If you've seen one, you've seen many of them. I won't say you've seen all of them, but you've seen many of them because it, it just kind of sticks to what you know about the person and just the stuff that she went through. Um, unfortunately, we know Whitney Houston's story is tragic, does have a tragic ending, and they don't shy away from all the troubles and the stuff that she went through. They mm-hmm. touch on that stuff, which you would kind of expect them to. The drug the drug usage, the the tumultuous relationship with Bobby Brown, of course, the the, the stuff that she dealt with from her image and her being a part of you know the LGBTQ community for a while and just the secrecy that she had to live throughout They're, they they touch on all that stuff you know which I appreciate it but ultimately it doesn't rise above you know anything else in terms of mm-hmm. what we see out of music biopics it kind of exists within that same that same bucket of stuff that we've gotten all throughout the years where it's like yep that's that's about what I expected I expected to hear the music I expected <laughs> you to tell the story over the course of about twenty to thirty years and you know now we go home and I guess we just kind of move on from there man I seen that um, Ashton Sanders was playing Bobby Brown I was like what. Ashton Sanders is playing who? That's crazy to see that he is playing Bobby Brown. I thought it was interesting because um, I haven't seen him, I feel like, in a while. But also, man, Naomi Aki having to play Whitney Houston. I feel like that's such a tall task to have to play anybody of that stature, right? Like, if you think of anybody who had to play Michael Jackson in a movie, I can't, God forbid the actress, whoever has to play Beyonce in anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> just please, like touch that person yeah uh it's 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 (laughs) it's not gonna work out but it's crazy um that they got to that point you know where Naomi Aki was able to at least look at like her a couple times but it's unfortunately unfortunate to hear that it's as formulaic as it is man um because as a music lover I don't I still don't hate the idea of biopics but I usually don't like the movie if that makes sense like I'm like heck yeah I want to watch this movie I'm a fan of their work let me watch this movie and then the movie's like like you said, cradle to grave, and I'm like, okay, but like, is that what I wanted to focus? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just, it just doesn't always work, you know what I'm saying? Versus, I don't know. Like a, a lot of my favorite biopics in recent memory, if you can count it, it's like, get on up, and I'm just like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's different. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a different movie. Very like, different. He was, he was acting. You got to step into a level, different level of acting, because James Brown was very eccentric dude. But yeah. I, I I hope they figure out this this biopic formula one day. I don't know how they can know how they fix it. Again, sometimes just make a documentary. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't always got to do biopics in this way. Maybe it's just a formula that doesn't work anymore. But yeah, I hope they figure it out. 
I think the more interesting stuff that we see out of this genre specifically, or really about anything that's like biographical, is about those people that we just don't know about. You know, to to, to what you said about, you know, taking on these roles and these people that are just so iconic and so well known, Whitney Houston or Ray Charles mm-hmm. or whoever the case may be, the the Queen for Bohemian Rhapsody. Like we've just known yeah. these people. They're so big, their 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 power and their wattage is just so bright and so powerful that it's like, well, we kind of know this stuff. And so I typically find like maybe those lesser known individuals that we don't know anything about, or maybe, maybe you find somebody that's adjacently related to that person. Like, I don't know if you get people to a movie theater, if you tell the story about Whitney Houston's father, you probably don't. And you can, you can, you can tell his story alongside hers, but I don't know. I think that, I think that there is something to be said about trying to break the formula and just go in a different direction. Cause it, it is becoming yeah. a bit routine, you know, at this point that we, that we have all of these different use cases where we can kind of point to it and say like, yeah, they just did the same exact thing. So we will have to see um, what's next on your list. Next on the list, we have. Wait, where did it go? Oh, there we go. Um, man, I got a chance to check out another horror film on Shutter. And the, actually, the reason I watched this is I was, you know, we're we're just letterbox guys, but I was looking at lists, and this ended up on one of the top twenty horror films, the twenty twenty two list of a horror film called Watcher. Um, and it's actually a pretty decent film, man. I I was after watching that, I wasn't surprised that it ended up on the top 20 um movie list but it's a very patient film like this isn't the this isn't a a very high paced horror film it's not a very high paced slasher or anything like that but it's something about the lingering presence of somebody who might be stalking you or maybe not stalking you that it just kind of keeps you um in the movie man uh uh and it's good the ending where the movie ends is just I, I, I really liked the way the movie ended. I really liked the last act of the film. But I, I think this is another one of those good Friday night joints. You know what I'm saying? It's Friday night. You're at home. Make you some popcorn and you turn on Watcher. As long as you're one of those patient watchers that can that can literally watch a film and, and, and not have to have too much going on. It's I think it's really well done. I think it's well directed. But mainly, I think what keeps the movie afloat is the uh, the performance from Micah Monroe, who plays the main character, Julia. I think she does, she literally, this is her movie. Like, the camera is always on her. That's part of the directorial style, right? It's like, you feel like somebody's watching you, and you know, you're literally watching the character that feels like they're being watched. And so she has to carry the film and just act throughout the whole movie in, in, in a very specific way. And she does a very good job, I think. So again, I, I say if you, if you, have another horror film that you want to watch that you haven't seen man watcher is a pretty decent one um so yeah it's it's good man it's good man what a year 2022 was it was just such a fruitful year for horror so many different options streamers theatrical releases it just there was just a wealth of of good things that we saw come our way especially the unexpected ones and the fact that like we're still discovering these um and that you just you know went back to to watch this because it was on so many lists it's also just like another mm-hmm. great sign it was a, it was a very seminal year hopefully we could keep up that momentum into this year and hopefully you know the next couple of years as well um the next one that i'll just quickly talk about is she said which is a movie that came out this past fall um it was something that i definitely always wanted to check out but just didn't get around to to going to the movies to see it but it just recently became available on Peacock, um, she said is based on true events. It's based on a book, actually, um, the 2019 book of the same name. Um, and it's essentially about two New York Times reporters who are really kind of at the at the starting point of, of really helping launch the Me Too movement in their investigation into the really the misdeeds of Harvey Weinstein, um, the, the notorious Hollywood producer who was exposed for 
many, 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 you know, really, really terrible acts of sexual assault and rape over the course of the years and how many women stepped up in that particular moment. I believe it was 2017 when this was all really becoming becoming just, you know, sort of a boiling point of conversation. And so this is following Megan Twohey, I believe her name is, and Jody Cantor, as they just go deep, deep into this investigation. So it's a journalist movie. It's an investigative piece really about the whole thing. Um, but it's, you know, sort of looking at it from their perspective of all the news that they had to uncover, all the people that they had to talk to and interview. Um, and it was good. It was pretty good, man. I, I really I really enjoyed just seeing, you know, the two lead actresses, Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan. They were both tremendous. They did phenomenal work here. I love a good investigative journalism movie. There's so many good examples. All the President's Men, of course, is a classic. But even more more recently, you look at a movie like, like Spotlight, you know, which was, you know, more of an investigative journalist piece. Um, they, they, they're really, I think they're really useful in, in sort of uncovering the lengths that people will go, not only to find out what the truth is and to find out, you know, what are what are the real things happening, but also just the lengths that people will go to to keep the truth hidden and to keep things under wraps and just like all the the really heinous things that that happen behind the scenes that you know we we don't typically see or hear about, but due to the work of these people behind the scenes behind these reporter desks, um, they can they can ultimately shed light on this stuff. And so it was a good watch, you know. I think that it ultimately again, shines a little bit of light on what we already knew and shines the light on what it took to really make this a prominent thing at that particular moment and how how much of a watershed moment it was for the Me Too movement and, you know, just some of the resistance that they faced and some of the obstacles that they had to overcome. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And I heard that the book is even better, which is no surprise to me. Um, but as we all know, we, we've all kind of heard the story about Harvey Weinstein. I mean, we just saw him get convicted yeah. again in LA. He's already serving 23 years in New York. And so it's coming out at a really interesting time where he's starting to finally see the consequences of his actions for all those years. And it's heartbreaking too. You know, when you see the stories recounted from a lot of these women, um, they have a couple of people like real life people who were involved in that incident show up in the movie as well. So overall, I think it's it's a good watch, um, and I think it'll definitely be in the conversation about adaptive screenplay. Again, similar to Woman Talking, what I said earlier, mm -hmm. I think uh, when we talk about like screenplay, it'll be in that conversation for sure around award season. Yeah, this is one of those films I've also been meaning to check out. I had no idea it was on Peacock, so you just told me, so I'm definitely going to watch it here pretty soon. But this is also another one of those films that has been, like you said, best adapted screen player, just being talked about in the war season in general. I know Carrie Mulligan got that um, that that nod and nomination for uh, supporting actress at the Golden Globes, actually. Um, so there's a couple things I, I see um, kind of arising from this film. Is one of the reasons I wanted to watch it. I know I actually seen a couple critics also put in their top ten, which is of course a big um, a big thing to do. But yeah, I, I can't wait to check it out, man. I hope I hope I like it. Definitely. And last. But certainly not least on our list is a movie I know we're both eager to talk about. It ended up in both of our top 10 movies of the year list for 2022, and that's Babylon. And there's a couple of interesting things to talk about with Babylon, not only our thoughts about the movie, but also just about the performance of it and how it's doing right mm -hmm. now. But Babylon, again, came out this past December. It's been... It's been actually had a premiere for, for a couple of months now. It was getting some early screenings with critics. I think they wanted to get the word of mouth out there pretty early about the film. Um, this stars Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, also Tobey Maguire is in this movie. There's a lot of other small cameos, of course, that appear as well that I won't spoil. But it's directed by Damien Chazelle, who's coming off of First Man. He also directed Whiplash and La La Land, two movies that were critically acclaimed across the board and really made him a household name. So this is his 
fourth large feature film. I think he's directed another film as well, like early um, before Whiplash. But this is like the fourth one that people know him for. But this is uh, this is a really interesting to talk about for for a lot of reasons. There's the runtime, of course. It's over three hours long. <laughs> it dropped in the middle of December, right alongside Avatar, and it pretty much bombed. If we're being honest about it, but mm-hmm. you know, of course the actual receipts of the movie in terms of the money don't necessarily speak to the quality of it but i want to just start with you man what did you think about babylon and what were your overall thoughts about just the experience of watching this movie man i don't even know where to start um i was actually in florida with my family uh, when I, I i ducked off when nothing was going on to go watch this film at a theater i'd never been to i don't even remember the name of the theater I, I very much went in there missing amc i tell you that um but it's it's I don't even know where to really start with this film. It is just a balls to the wall, crack, <laughs> cocaine filled movie, man. There's so much. We ca- we talk about the Fablemans and how that movie feels so good because it's a movie about movie making. And it's more like the, even though it's not all clean, it's more like the family version of that, right? In, in the Fablemans. Babylon is like the, crazy coked out movie star version of that is like how it's it is still a movie about making movies but what it looks like for the more from the more ridiculous side from the non-childish side of making movies and i think for that in some ways they're in conversation with each other and in some ways they're not in conversation with each other at all you know what i mean i really like that about those two movies now thinking about it in retrospect but man babylon I, I i i'm constantly in in this up this podcast talking about some movies that have things to say and man, I think Babylon has a ton to say, not only about, or of course, one being the history of what it was like to make movies in the time period um, of the 20s, 30s, 40s, you know what I mean? Of that time period, what it was like, but what it, what it, what it, what it says about how, in, in some ways, how we've evolved, you know, from that in ways of making a movie, how ridiculous it was, how dangerous it was, how how hard it was to get into the industry. But in some ways, like if you were at the right spot at the right time, you did the right thing, how that worked out for you. You know what I mean? How that, how people became movie stars in that way, man. And, and, and I know it's a long, but it's ambitious. It's impressive. Um, Whiplash is one of my favorite movies. It just is what it is, right? And so I was looking forward to this too. I think Damon Chazelle is a very capable director in, 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 in writer. And coming into this, I was excited just based off Whiplash alone. La La Land, I like, it's cool. Uh, first man it's beautiful <laughs> you know what I mean but this 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 movie I think had had enough to say and I think Damien Chazelle was really kind of putting it all out there you know it's it, again it's not only commentary about the 20s 30s and 40s but I can tell this commentary in here about how he feels about the industry in general sometimes you know what I mean about how fast-paced things could be and how crazy things can be but this movie's insane this movie's nuts um to be honest I watched it and I was like why is why don't critics like this movie i don't know there's just so much that i was watching like i kind of get what some other critics are saying but part of me is like i don't get it at all because i think this movie is that is that um crafted and that well done man but yeah again i just love all that it had to say um there's very small shortcomings in this movie one of them probably is the runtime a little bit like you could have shaved off just a tad i was like dang there was a moment and i was like okay we might didn't have to do that part, in, in, which is fine, but I absolutely love it, man. It's 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 really good. It won't be for everybody. That is something I do understand. It, I don't think it will be for everybody, but I think those who are ready for a 
coke dusted sex filled extravaganza <laughs> then you're gonna have a great time with this film and i think you'll understand again if you're like anything like the way i think then you'll also understand why me shoot or maybe jordan put this in our top 10 movies of the year man um i have quite a few thoughts about babylon first of all i'm utterly amazed that damien chazelle was able to convince a studio to give him 80 million dollars for this unhinged artistic vision and commentary on the transition between the silent era to the talkies the fact that he was able to say like yeah let me make this movie for a ridiculously large budget and give me pretty much <laughs> all the leeway i can get on a runtime to tell the story in the way that i want to tell it i mean he's earned it if we're being honest just because of the the quality of his work but it's also just still kind of crazy in this day and age that something like this could get made when studios are so gun shy about everything and they want everything to be so risk averse the fact that he was able to convince them to do so is kind of astounding to me uh, on Twitter, Jacob Hall from Slash Film said, quote, this is the most irresponsible use of money to make a movie since Cloud Atlas, end quote, which I laugh my <laughs> ass off at that because one, Cloud Atlas costs like $100 million and it bombed and people don't love it. But secondly, I love Cloud Atlas. That's the thing. Like, I actually, I love Cloud Atlas. So when I, <laughs> when mm -hmm. I hear stories like this, That's these funny. directors able to like somehow get all this money to make these movies that are very, very polarizing and they intend to be polarizing, that's stuff that I really enjoy because it gets people, I think it gets people talking. I think it makes things more interesting than the stuff that we typically see on a week-to-week -week basis that typically is just regurgitating all the stuff that we're used to. And, and it's clear that Damien Chazelle set out to make something that's meant to be polarizing. It's the type of movie that I think that you have to see in order to have an opinion on it. Like, you actually have to go witness mm -hmm. this and watch it in order to say, like, Okay, I saw Babylon. I hated that movie. I thought it was completely self-indulgent. He did way too much here. I didn't enjoy that. Or you will say, like me, I fucking love this movie. It was incredible. It just had me completely transfixed for pretty much the entire runtime. I was sitting there just like utterly amazed at everything that was unfolding on screen because one, this movie told us what it wanted to be from the get-go. When you see the first right. trailer, the damn Paramount Pictures logo disappears to the sound of snorting cocaine that's how you know what you're walking into when you see something like that it's like oh yeah this is gonna be some outrageous shit it's gonna be shocking it's gonna be vile but at the same time as you said it, it's so ambitious what he does over the course of three plus hours here and 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 I'm, I'm fascinated that it's able to combine this really debaucherous behavior that we see in the movie but also it combines it with some of the most like technically impressive stuff that I've seen in any movie in 2022. The first 25 minutes is like a nonstop party sequence, right? But then the next like 25 minutes is the experience of what it was like on a movie set back in the 1930s. The fact that they would film like 12 movies at the same time because nobody was using sound. So they could do that. They could have a, a Western filming and then, you know, 100 feet later, they could be filming like this more intimate movie that was going to mm -hmm. take place inside of a bar. And to see that stuff unfold was just so impressive. And, and, and on a thematic level, it's really similar to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's talking about the state of yes. transition and how the industry is, you know, really moving into a new era and also just how the characters are dealing with that, how it impacts their relevancy, how it impacts their mm -hmm. earning power, the fact that they might not they might not be able to make this this transition successfully because things are changing. But structurally, from just like how the film plays out, it's very, very similar to Boogie Nights and, and just that whole experience of like 
a sequence after a sequence after a sequence after a sequence where it's like the most insane shit is happening right now and this feels like this could be the end of the movie but we still have like two hours to go and there's one sequence in this movie i won't get into what it is but it happens like I don't know, maybe an hour and 52 hours into the movie with Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. that is oh my God. fucking insane. I was like, okay, this just became a very different movie. It's very much, again, like Boogie <laughs> Nights. It's like what happens with Alfred Molina a third of the way through the movie. It's like, how do we end mm-hmm. up here? What's going on? Where is this going? And then you see what happens. Your mouth and your jaw just drops because it's like, yo, this is insane. And lastly, you know, I think um, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier. I think, I think, the, the the things that Babylon is in conversation with is interesting. And I think it's also for Damien Chazelle as a filmmaker, as you said, I agree that it feels like he's kind of getting out some of his own personal feelings about the industry and how all consuming it could be and how it could really tear apart your soul. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you see a lot of people sacrifice a lot of things to, to pursue this dream and, and, and lose themselves in, in, in that pursuit. But it also feels like it might be a direct response because of that to La La Land, because La La Land is the type of movie that's all about dreams and ambition and following your yeah. dreams and and what that can look like and how glitz and glamorous it could be. La La Land is full of colors. It's it's bright and it's vibrant. And, and you have these wide eyed people who just have the world in front of them. And then you come to Babylon and it's cynical. It's dark. It's drug filled. Wow. It's it's ugly. It's it's disturbing, you know, and, and by the end of it, you see these characters and you're like. Yeah, that didn't work out for them at all, right? And it's like that that was that was the really complete experience and I, I feel like if if Damien Chazelle never made another movie ever, which it kind of feels like that's what he set out to do with this movie. It feels like he just threw everything at the wall, but if he never made another movie ever, this is a complete story about his filmography. You know, he did something that really spoke to his personal passions with Whiplash and a past that he used to have. He did a historical film with First Man and then La La Land and, and Babylon are speaking to each other, I think directly. And so the only thing that didn't work for me, more. yeah, exactly. The only thing that didn't work for me in this movie is the ending. Um, only because I think there's a sequence where like a character's in a movie theater and there's a montage. I won't yeah, get into what it is, I don't but know what was going on there? It, it just it, <laughs> it just throws off the whole vibe. I think it was trying to have. Mm, I agree. I think it was trying to have an emotional moment that the movie didn't necessarily earn. Like it tried to make you mm. feel something about the movies. I agree. And this movie wasn't really. I don't know. I don't. I don't really get a love for cinema after watching this. If I'm being honest, it, yeah. it, it kind of makes yeah, you I detest agree. it to a certain extent. So mm-hmm. that was the one thing that kind of you know held it back for me. But ultimately, this was this was just an, a crazy, incredible experience. Um, quickly before we sign off, what do you think about the box office situation of this? It, it bombed. It made <laughs> virtually no money. I don't know how surprising that really is, considering like when it came out. But you know, it does have like really talented people in front of the camera. Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie. These are huge names, but. We also know this is not an industry where necessarily names are driving people to the movie theaters anymore. It's more about characters and IP and franchises. Mm-hmm. It just kind of feels yeah, we, like it, it kind of it, it kind of feels like a weird place, right? The fact that like you can have something that we yeah. both think is so good, but it's also just underperforming so drastically. You know what? What do you what do you attribute to that? Man, uh, a lot of things. You know, the timing of it is first and foremost like there was no competing with Avatar. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a reason all these people. We're staying away from it. We've talked about that numerously. People are staying away from December. They're staying away from it. And so I can't be like surprised when the one movie that doesn't stay away from Avatar is one of the movies that does end up, you know what I mean, doing what it does. Um, but also, there's a lot. I mean, three hours can turn off a lot of people too if it's not Avatar. You know what I'm saying? It's Avatar is like, ah, we can do it. Big commitment. Uh, Babylon, people aren't as familiar with 
Damien Chazelle as they are with James Cameron. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Avatar can go, look, we have James Cameron. Babylon can go, I mean, he made La La Land. You know what I'm saying? Like, they just don't really compete in that way. Also, this isn't a bash or anything. This is just an observation. But how how great has Margot Robbie ever really done in the box office? You know what I'm saying? Like, she's never really had a big box office sensation run like it, it just happens to be the movie she's in you know what i'm saying she she picks those projects that do kind of go under the radar so it it, it, it kind of feels like margot robbie hasn't necessarily become the actress that will like instantly sell a movie right like if i'm thinking about it, once upon a time in hollywood brad pitt being part of that it's a package deal you get leo brad pitt and quentin tarantino people might go see that movie and then margot robbie's attached to it you know what i'm saying but it, it never has felt like I'm going to go see this movie because Margot Robbie's in it. People have never, I think, really attached to her in that way, at least not yet. And so that, and, and, and Brad Pitt's not always like that either. You know what I mean? Brad Pitt does do these films. A lot of everybody doesn't go go see in that way. I think in talking about the conversation between La La Land and this, I, I really love the actors that were chosen to. I love that Margot Robbie and Emma Stone are like two completely different people in my mind, you know, kind of somehow versus... Brad Pitt and Ryan Gosling are like, they feel like they're in the same realm, but the movies they make are pretty different. And you know, Emma Stone of, was supposed to be in ba- Babylon. She was initially casted, crazy. but then ultimately had to drop out and, and Margot Robbie stepped in. And that's crazy. Because now, uh, again, what you said about them being in conversation, I, I love that. And now they they do feel like two completely different things. They are critically different. They are, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really love that. I'm going to sit with that for a while. But um, I, I think it, it can be attributed to a lot of things, man. I think... The, the the last minute December. If you go on, if it's if it's December, you go into the movies. You're not about to go see Babylon with your family. You know what I'm saying? You better go. <laughs> like, Shit, I don't know about you. I'm taking my mom to see that coke filled party at the be- beginning. <laughs> Why not? That feels like a perfect family day out. I'm weak. You're not gonna have little little uh, little DJ eight years old in a theater with you oh, watching this this cocaine filled elephant moving through the you're just not going to do it you know what i'm saying you're gonna go see avatar or put some boots or you're gonna go see something else and so i think i think that was uh, uh, a big thing I, I can imagine if it came out just a different time it wouldn't have bombed the way it did but a lot of different reasons man it's, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint pinpoint one yeah also you know i think first the margot robbie point i agree she's never been this box office influencer necessary which you know it's irrelevant mm-hmm. now these days that's not what moves the needle at the box office but what's what's so also just like kind of weird about that 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 same statement is the fact that she has shouldered all of the blame for the underperformance. Like people people wow. magically say like, oh yeah, Margot Robbie, she's never done this, she, she's never done that, she's never been like the. Per-. And it's like, wait a second, like wait, how how is it now all of a sudden you know the main females leads fall? And I know that's not what you were doing, but a lot of I think a lot of people have positioned mm-hmm. it that way and trying to use yeah, you know sure. previous performance and things like that as as a way to you know tell that story, but. That, that, that's crazy how that timing works out. But also, you know, I don't really know how you tell the story of this movie. I don't know how you market it per se. Um, it is a difficult one to talk about. It's an era that many, many people are unfamiliar with. Gen Z doesn't know or really give a shit about the silent movie <laughs> era or, or talkies. Like, they don't care. And, and you know, if you go on TikTok, they're looking at Megan. That's what's, you know, really dominating their timelines and their feeds. What is this Babylon movie about that, they, that they're that they going to go see? Not anything that they're interested in. So I don't know how you even reach that audience. Um, the three-hour po- point is is well taken because that is a huge commitment. If you're going to spend three hours at a movie, it's probably going to be Avatar for most people. 
And I think we're also in a time where like movies have become longer this year. Like everything, like pretty much every big major movie in award season has been everything. substantially longer. Like it's everything. it's kind of crazy from the Avatars to the Babylons to earlier this year, the Batman, everything everywhere all at once is a two hour, 20 minute movie. Yeah, bro. All of these dramas are two and a half hours. The Fablemans, it's like. RRR. It's start, yeah, RRR. <laughs> like it's starting to get to a point where it's like, you might be asking a little bit much of the audience if you're going to continue mm-hmm. to put out stuff like this at this length, right? And I think I think most movies can tend to be shorter. I, I understand allowing people to have their visions told in, in the best way, in the biggest way possible. But if you want people to pay money to go see these things, then you have to be considerate of that. And you have to be mindful. But I'm also about Thanks. artistic integrity. I, I support that. And I, I think that that's, that's fine. And, and that warrants merit, too, because... Look, Boogie Nights, when it came out, was not this huge hit. It didn't make a ton of money. It grew over mm-hmm. time. And, you know, a similar thing can happen with Babylon. We'll have to see. But there's also other examples where you get these more artistic, auteur-driven movies that do perform well, like La La Land. That was a huge mm-hmm. hit. That made yep. so much money. But that was also like six years ago. And things are just so different now. So I don't know. It's constantly confusing. And we're constantly in transition. And, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen next. But I do hope more people discover Babylon and hopefully grow, you know, even more fond of it over time. Because I do think it's that good. I do think that it could persevere and last in the conversation for quite a while. But we will certainly have to see. But with that said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast. We are so happy to be back with Season 8 of Two Black Nerds. we got plenty of exciting things coming over the next few weeks. We will, of course, be back next week to talk about all the latest and greatest, whatever drops on social media in terms of streaming, in terms of movies, whatever the case may be. We will be back to cover it in all the latest and greatest detail. And we might even talk about the next episode of The Last of Us. So be on the lookout for next week's episode. But until then, we'll see y'all next time. Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. Please check out our Two Black Panthers Forever collection at twoblacknerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. <laughs>